Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show. It is a theme dreamed up by our very own Adam Risky. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of our show, Dana Buckler, earlier today, and I mentioned I was recording with you tonight, and I said that I think this is the first episode we've reverse-engineered from a pun. (laughs) (laughs) Worth it. Yes. It's a little show we're calling 90210. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's nine movies from 2002 and the movie O. I've had this in my head for almost a year, and it's <laughs> such a relief. Like, it feels like when a filmmaker says, it's just like, I, it's like on, in March of 2016, I put pen to paper, and like <laughs> December 2022, it's like, too, yeah, it's, it's like, like <laughs> you waited 13 years for this. Yes. Um, yeah, Erica, because we were taking a trip, mm-hmm. so we weren't going to be home for a few days, and I was struggling to watch 10 movies for this podcast, and she was like, uh, why don't you just put it on hold? Why don't you do it later? And I was like, no, we only have a few weeks left mm-hmm. in 2022. The joke doesn't work after that, so we have to get it in before the end of the year. So yeah. thank goodness we're getting it in before the end of the year. Yes, exactly. Um before we talk 902 and 10. Mm-hmm. Uh Adam, have you seen anything good lately? I have. Um I've been watching a lot of other 2002 movies because they all expire at the end of the year. Right. Um <laughs> but I was just like I got to save my comments on those for like another podcast later in the year cuz I can't like we can't be like it's 90210 and then talk <laughs> about 1402s. So I don't know. We should do a show called 1492s. And then I completely support this idea, even though I was like, I'm never going to do another show where I have to watch 10 movies again. And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I'll do one where I have to watch 14 movies. We could do 1492s. And then because of the Columbus thing, we could make it somehow mix with Chris Columbus. Oh, the the, the two fists of Columbus. <laughs> the two fists of Columbus. These are my infinity stones. Is Chris Columbus movies? Would we end with fourteen ninety two Conquest of Paradise? Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, we did a whole series on ninety two movies. We did. So it'd be hard to find fourteen that, more that we want to talk about. Maybe, right. maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. It was just a joke. We don't have to commit. <laughs> we don't have to commit work to it. Why not? Why? What better time to workshop this idea than on the podcast? Sure, exactly. Um, yeah. So i I want to mention a movie I watched on Halloween because I took it on a recommendation from you in a column like years ago. Interesting. And you did a uh, 24 hours of Halloween movies or movies set on Halloween. Okay. I kind of remember this. And I watched Kenny and company. Oh, nice. And, uh, it's on YouTube. I couldn't find it anywhere like legit, but like I watched just somebody uploaded it on YouTube and right. the quality is good enough. Um, I really liked it. It yes. reminded me of like a Halloween season a christmas story because it's so like vignette based but i really enjoyed it and it's was just what i needed kind of at the end of the month because one thing i noticed is like in the last two three days of october i needed things where people weren't dying (laughs) (laughs) that's what gets me so excited about november yeah like oh a a relief from all the bloodshed exactly yeah so i was watching like casper and things like that where i'm just like it still counts someone dies in casper 
Yeah. A couple people, actually. Casper got has some gravitas. Casper dies. Casper Moriarty dies. Yeah. I was excited when you were watching Casper, though, because that led to our text exchange talking about the filmography of Brad Silberling. Yeah. Underrated filmmaker. Yeah, and then you tweeted something about how it's good to have a friend That's who right. you can talk about. And I was just like, he subtweeted me. But in <laughs> a good a subtweet? way. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. What but the, in a what's good the way. opposite of a subtweet? I don't know. Yeah. I think I tagged you in it so people would know I was talking about you. Yeah, a bub tweet. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so uh, I watched that. I watched, um, I'm trying to finish all the John Travolta movies by the end of the year. So I had, I have four left after watching The Devil's Reign. Okay. Um, and he's not in it much. No. It was his film debut. He actually, it's I, I'm pretty sure his voice was looped in like the one or two lines of dialogue that he had. Because he's supposed Cause to. Because he's like, oh my God, I swear. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, oh my God. <laughs> we got to stop him. But, um, oh my God, the devil's rain. Yeah. I ain't got no eyes. Ernest Borgnine is melting. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, it's. I, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It was a movie that, like, as I was watching it, I wasn't terribly invested in it. Sure. But I couldn't resist, like, the creepiness of it. Okay. It, it felt unsettling, but in not any... I don't know how to describe it. It was just, like, maybe the tone of it. And then the final shot of it is, like, genuinely haunting. Yeah. Um. So I come out on the positive side on the devil's reign yeah i like it it's so very entertaining it's very 70s yes yes so i i enjoyed it um and then i watched star trek generations again okay and i think this was the first time i'd seen it since probably the late 90s or maybe even the mid 90s i saw it in theaters but i don't think i really ever saw it afterwards um be it on video or cable but um i was just like i've just been in a star trek mood lately it happens and i liked it more than i remembered for sure and i found like the subplot about the nexus do you remember that yeah yeah that that whole thing is like just such a a powerful theory that i think like it really makes the movie kind of resonate after you watch it and yeah. stuff so like i enjoyed it for all of the you know kind of trimmings so to speak with like it's just so comforting like just to watch them just kind of walk around the bridge and like, right. talk to each other and right. everything like that um and i think shatner is pretty good in it and his kind of scenes with patrick stewart are nicely done but like just like the whole i don't know you just like maybe it was just because of like i was drinking beer or something <laughs> but like it just like really got to me that night and i was doing a brent spiner double feature that you programmed for <laughs> friday night double features and i like couldn't make it through the aviator even though i love the aviator but it was because Star Trek Generations <laughs> made me so sapped out. I was, like, really moved by the Nexus stuff and, like, how Patrick Stewart was trying to um, recreate the the life that his nephew will never have because he died in a fire and right. everything like that. Right. And it was just so moving. I yeah. don't know. But so I... I, I think it's going to be like a sentimental favorite of mine where nice. like I would put it in the rankings higher than a lot of other people. I've always liked it. I think they were tasked with something fairly impossible. Mm -hmm. 
like Alien versus Predator or Freddy versus Jason or something like that, where it's like, we got to get these two together, and it's yeah. really hard. So it's not going to satisfy everyone, and I think if not for the big choice that the movie makes mm-hmm. near the end, I think it would be a lot more fondly remembered than it is. I think, unfortunately, its reputation is like, oh, that's the movie that does that thing that I hate. Yeah. It's also a little redundant with where they leave the original crew at the end of six. Like, it, sure, it yeah. almost makes more sense where it's just like, okay, that chapter's closed. Yeah, it's not and a good original they, cast movie. Yeah, and they were definitely hedging their bets where they're just like, this TNG movie series might not work, so right. like, let's get people in right, so, with, right. with that, by having Shatner. But how cool that then they follow it up with First Contact where they're like, first now we get our own so movie great. and now we're going to kick some ass. Yeah, no, First Contact's the best. And um, one of the remaining O2s I have to watch is Nemesis, so... I, I have my expectations lowered. However, I liked Insurrection, and a lot of people don't like Insurrection. So. I like Insurrection. I still can't like Nemesis. Okay. Yeah. What What is it about Nemesis that's worse than the others? The writing. Okay. Um, again, some bad choices that are made. Yeah. Uh, you could tell Brent Spiner had a big hand in certain things. It becomes a, a very data centric movie, and mm. I like Data as a character, but maybe not as the focus. Sure, okay. So he's kind of matering a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call matering. Yeah. <laughs> um, Golly, <laughs> Captain! I'm the lead. I finally got a joke. If I had a backbone, I would stop this from happening, but I don't. Wow! Somebody hijacked my own film. Wow. Wow, engage. So, uh, John Lasseter, I was wondering if, uh, I know you're kind of busy with your Hawaiian shirts and awkward hugging. And all your groping. (laughs) (laughs) But wow, this film is getting stolen from me. Wow. If somebody showed me a picture of John Lasseter and said, would you believe this guy hugs a little too long? I'd be like, I fucking, of course, believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you something off mic, John Lasseter related. Okay. So it was a very awkward conversation I had with a friend of mine who is family friends with the Lasseter family. Interesting. And I didn't know this. So I guess this is on mic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I, I didn't know this. Um and I made a passing reference after like all this uh, all the Me Too stuff came out yeah, about right. John Lasseter and I was just like, Yeah, can you believe it? So and so and I did not know that this person was close family friends with the Lasseters and she like tore me a new asshole what? about like he's so nice and how dare you and everything like that and I was just like there's accounts. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm like, maybe you're not the impartial person that's yeah, going to exactly. do about this. And then I was just like, oh, yeah, we're at work. We have to pass out tchotchkes. Can we not do this right now? <laughs> um, uh, I watched Hallmark's Christmas at the Golden Dragon. <laughs> um, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a Christmas movie about um, a Chinese restaurant that's yeah, closing right. on Christmas. Um, Closing permanently on Christmas or like we're just closed on Christmas because it's Christmas? (laughs) That would be better. No. Closing permanently. Okay. Got it. Um, And they're the Chinese restaurant in Wichita, Kansas. Sure. It's – it has a sparkling first act. (laughs) Like the setup is kind of irresistible. I'm just like, I like this family. I like what's happening here. This restaurant looks like a real Chinese restaurant. It doesn't look like Hallmarkified. So – I was enjoying it for a while, 
But then Hallmark doesn't have the courage of its convictions <laughs> to stick with the Asian family running the Chinese restaurant. And they're just like, let's make this shortcuts with their white customers and stuff what? like that. And it's like all their Christmas problems. And I'm just like, get back Lily to Lily Tomlin the- shows up as an alcoholic. And yeah, and I'm Andy like- McDowell accidentally <laughs> runs over a kid. Everybody's talking over each other. I'm like, <laughs> Who runs over the kid in that movie? He's, was it Julianne Moore? No. Or Andy McDowell? I, it might be Andy McDowell. I never saw it. I just oh, remember for real? it from clips. Oh, I'm spoiling things. I apologize. I it's care about such a good movie. Um, so there's a one token Jewish character in it, which I appreciate good. because Chinese restaurant Christmas, Jewish people will be there. It's a tradition. Um, so the son of the Chinese family that owns the restaurant um, has an on-again, off-again relationship with like his high school crush. And it's this girl and she's she's Jewish. And there's one part of the movie that made me laugh out loud in okay. my apartment by myself because he goes to her house to like apologize. And it's kind of like the the moment where it's just like, I'm not going to miss out on stuff anymore. Like I don't, because he's always like at work. Yeah. He misses things and he stands her up and does all this stuff. Um so he gets to her house, and she does Hallmark to signify that she's Jewish. So we know that she's Jewish. She has a menorah outside. There's a menorah on her porch. Right. Never has happened in the history of Judaism, <laughs> where somebody's just like, "Yeah, porch menorah, menorah." Hallmark presents porch menorah, <laughs> starring Ben Savage and, and Mia Portman. Kirshner. <laughs> Shimmer Portman, porch menorah. Yeah. <laughs> So Christmas at the Golden Dragon, it fucking rallies at the end. Um, I like that they say, like, the restaurant's going to close. And then you're just like, this is Hallmark. They're going to turn it around. It's like the daughter and the son are going to be like, mom and dad, we're going to take over the restaurant because it means so much to the community and stuff like that. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. This is a real seeking a friend for the end of the world situation. Where Sometimes just restaurants like, close. We're just like, we said the world was going to end. <laughs> the damn restaurant is closing. It's a real Mrs. Doubtfire situation. Yeah. Sometimes people get divorced. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, sweetest on we. Did you... <laughs> did you... Uh, question. Yeah. Did you just happen upon this movie or was this like i'm setting my dvr for christmas at the golden dragon i set my dvr because oh, like during november december like i'll 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 kind of go through like the the cable guide just to, not cable guide when i'm <laughs> my paper tv guide no, <laughs> I, I went through the menu for the hallmark channel get the tv guy <laughs> you don't need a tv <laughs> thank you um so I got that, and then I was, like, just skimming. And I always look for, like, they always say, like, who the two leads are. And if there's I don't recognize something... a single name in the cast. No, no, no. But, like, all right. It... But the Christmas of the Golden Dragon, I'm just like, this sounds irresistible. And then I read the plot summary, and I was just like, closing Chinese restaurant Christmas. I'm like, I, I have to be there. It's like the upcoming Hanukkah and Rai, where they're just like... It's at a deli, and I'm just like, well, clearly this De- will okay. be talked about. Yeah, that'll give you a pass. Like, this will be in the top ten. Delis are your weakness. So, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um. So it's good. I give good. it three stars. It will not be in my top ten list. Um, <laughs> you say that now. I kept it on the DVR. I did not delete it. <laughs> I just don't like 
them hedging their bets with like all the white customers. Sure. Because it's stupid shit. It's right, like, right. yeah, anyways. Uh, I saw a ticket to Paradise oh, in the theaters. <laughs> um, not great. No. Um, I was just, I just was excited that two movie stars were in a movie together. Um, that was just about them being movie stars. Pretty much, it's yeah. It's not a high I, concept or no. like a IP. There's like maybe two good scenes of the whole movie. Um, <laughs> awesome. And it's like reminds you that this could be better if they wanted it to be, yeah. which is sort of frustrating. Yeah. Um, I watched um, on HBO Max. I saw that like they have an interview show with Chris Wallace where he interviews people. And he there's one episode with like Tarantino and I watched that. And there was an episode with George Clooney and I watched that. And George Clooney is such a good interview. And it was like 35 minutes okay. and them talking about Ticket to Paradise in long in a long form interview where it's not like a junket promo thing yeah. was so much more interesting <laughs> than anything in the movie. And it kind of was depressing for me in a way where like I was happy to see Julia Roberts and George Clooney in the lead of like a very commercial movie, not something real super dark or whatever. Right. But I was just like... um Whereas maybe with Destination Wedding, for example, I where I'm just like, oh, they're you know, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder are the old people in the landmark Renaissance Place movies now or whatever. Um, it, where that was just like endearing. Yes, this was more like, look at these two old teddy bears. We don't need to give them anything interesting to do because right. your residual affection for them is enough. So I was just, it, they just were underserved and it just drove me crazy. Well, Destination Wedding like bothered to be a movie. Yeah. And Ticket to Paradise looks like, what if there were movie stars? It has the worst freeze frame ever to end a movie. Oh, wow. It's really terrible. Wow. It's basically like death proof inverse. <laughs> um, no, and, <laughs> um, and by that I mean uh, George Clooney and Julia Roberts jump up in the air or <laughs> after they've killed people. Um, no, the uh, Julia Roberts puts her heel through Caitlin Beaver's <laughs> skull. <laughs> and they play Chick Habit. Um, I saw Armageddon Time. I was the one who said one please for Armageddon Time. Um, and I liked it a lot. I was very surprised because. I can count on less than one hand how many James Gray movies I like because he's a director that often leaves me pretty cold. But yeah, um, he did a movie called Two Lovers a long time ago with Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Shaw and Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. that um, has to do with like really kind of with um, kind of the intricacies of like a Jewish community and like um porch menorahs porch menorah. <laughs> and like uh yeah it's it's really interesting it's a good movie but uh, and armageddon time is kind of like his autobiographical movie um or semi-autobiographical and it's really interesting because it's about a jewish family but and i i one thing that used to frustrate me about frustrate me about jewish movies is that they were always about like the Holocaust and it was never about just like Jewish right, people right, living right. their lives. Right. And it's gotten better recently, but um, this one I appreciated because it didn't make everybody saints. Cause okay. I think a lot of times filmmakers are afraid to portray Jewish people in a negative light because of backlash or whatever. Yeah, um, right. And 
this was really interesting because these people are like really complex and um like Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong are the parents. Jeremy Strong is kind of doing like a caricature of a Jewish guy and it mm. sort of works but sort of is distracting. Anne Hathaway is a lot better because she's more subtle. Anthony Hopkins is really good. He's like kind of like the mensch of I the bunch. I know nothing about this movie. Like um, you're naming cast members. I was yeah. like, what? But it's interesting because like the trailer made it look like um, the boy who's sort of like the James Gray proxy um, befriends uh, the one uh, African-American kid who's at his school, at a public school. And they kind of are you know it's kind of frowned upon in certain ways because they're you know of different races and everything right, right, like right. that um but then it's not really even about that as much as i thought that it was going to be it's a lot about kind of upward mobility and like kind of how hypocritical a lot of it is so there's like all this stuff with like ronald reagan is about to get elected and like the jewish family is like like horrified that he's gonna get elected but then they're sending their son to like a private school that's like main benefactor is fred trump and oh, stuff okay. like that right, right, and it's right. just like it's just like you need to advance and everything like that but you're like sending him into a situation that's like so much worse okay so it's really interesting um i liked it a lot um and then i saw the banshees of inishirin oh wow okay and that was really good. Um, I know Rob, I think, said it was like one of his favorites or his favorite movie of the year. At the time, it was his favorite. Yeah. Now, he may have seen something else that he likes more by now. But. Yeah. Um, it's my favorite Martin McDonough sense in Bruges. Um, it's really interesting. It's funny. Um, it's sad. Uh, it has a lot to do with... Um, I, I heard like it's an allegory for like the Irish Civil War, which I did. That went over my head. <laughs> okay. It takes place in the 20s. Okay. Um, but like the thing that really resonated with me is just sort of when somebody decides to end a friendship. Right. And kind of how horrible that is for the, the person on the, the, the bad the side. Receiving of, end, the right, receiving right, right. end. The receiving end of right. it. Because it's so personal. Yeah. And um, I was really kind of that was kind of resonating with me because i've definitely been in that situation before um but then i was like but i've definitely done that to people too and have you ever like literally broken up with a friend or do you just like start ghosting them usually ghosting but i have broken up with a friend have you really okay i never have yeah and it's very and i the way i did it was like so thoughtless and it something i can like play back in my mind Mm and I regretted it and I ended up seeing him and it was because I started dating somebody who didn't like him. Okay. And I was just like, well, right. You know. Um, and then I saw him after her and I split up, I saw him at a bar and I bought him like a drink and we sat down and we talked about it and I like profusely apologized sure. and said like how sorry I was. And we never like repaired our friendship, but like, we'll, we're pleasant with each other now but like it's one of my biggest regrets because he was like such a loyal friend and i just was the biggest shit ever so but um yeah so but the the movie like really kind of was a real star trek generation situation (laughs) it like really drug or drew out a lot of emotion in me so that will be in my top 10 oh nice yeah and probably armageddon time too wow okay have you read any of the like i know 
All I know about Armageddon Time is that it has received some pretty scathing reviews. Did you go back and read any of those? I didn't. Okay. Um, I'm just be... curious as to what people are objecting to. I have stayed out of the discourse yeah, I completely. Don't know. I saw like the general consensus, like for the Rotten Tomatoes score, isn't bad. Okay. Um, I'm thinking that maybe people were hard on it because it's not firmly, and I'm not saying this. I guess I kind of am saying it in a political sense. It's not like firmly liberal. It's well, like, how dare it? <laughs> it's not like crusadingly right, like, right. you know, like this is the... It, it's, it's not Aaron Sorkin. It's flawed characters. And they, they the way that certain things in the movie resolve itself is very realistic and like you know some some people are quote-unquote winners and some people are quote-unquote losers in these situations and um i think that uh you know especially kind of you know the people who kind of come out on the short end of it, it it can leave a sour taste but like if this is partially based on his life which i read you know some of it was like there's a there's like a petty crime in the movie at one point and that part of it was like the inspiration for this. Okay. And James Gray was just like, yeah, like I got out of it, but this friend of mine like really kind of got the lion's share of the punishment. Yeah. And then they're just like, did you ever see him again? He's like, no. And I heard he died from like a botched drug deal like oh, five years ago and everything like that. So he's clearly like working something out. And it's not even like he's apologizing for it he's just like basically almost like falling on the sword it's like a real interesting personal movie i liked it a lot okay wow i will keep an eye out for it Mm -hmm. um i don't have much to talk about because we watched 10 movies for this and i've had to watch stuff for other stuff um i have an idea if you don't have something to talk about yeah for any show you should watch (laughs) something to talk about (laughs) And you know then what? talk about something. You know what? About. I kind of <laughs> like where your head is at. Yep. Um, there's two new horror movies coming out on Shutter in the coming weeks that mm-hmm. I saw. The first is Christmas Bloody Christmas. Okay. Which is the new film from Joe Begas. I saw a poster for it. It is about a robot Santa that goes crazy on Christmas Eve and starts killing people. Okay. And it's shot on 16 millimeter, and it's violent, and it's everything that people accuse Rob Zombie movies of being without as much of the artistry. Like, mm-hmm. every other word is fuck, and every character kind of looks like Joe Begas and talks like Joe Begas. Mm-hmm. And I still can't figure out why the Santa is a robot. Like, there's no real explanation yeah. for why a robot Santa has been built. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a little TV advertisement at the beginning that's like, and now there's a robot Santa. Why it goes haywire, why it's killing people, mm-hmm. except to make it indestructible near the end of the film. Okay. To make it very hard to kill. Because if it was just a guy as a slasher, it would be like, well, he would have been taken care of already. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't love it. I mean, okay. I've... I've uh, and you've liked some of his movies. Before. I have. I mean, yeah. I, I thought Almost Human had a lot to like about it, even though it's very clearly like a low-budget first film. Um, didn't you like Bliss? I liked Bliss enough. Yeah. I didn't love Bliss. Okay. I I really liked VFW. Okay. Uh, and I liked the Scanners ripoff. 
one, <laughs> the name of which is uh, the mind's me eye? right now. Thank you, the mind's eye. Okay. Yes, I'm surprised I pulled. It. <laughs> I liked the mind's eye. Yeah, this uh, is one of my least favorite Joe Bigas movies. Okay, but it'll be on Shutter in the coming weeks. Uh, a movie I liked a lot better that will also be on Shutter in the coming weeks is the new Travis Stevens movie called mm-hmm. A Wounded Fawn. Okay, which stars Sarah Lind from Wolf Cop and director of werewolves within josh rubin josh rubin god thank god he does a really good jeff bridges impression have you ever seen that no yeah he's just like well (laughs) it's like really funny you should look it up are we talking like r.i.p.d jeff bridges yeah it's definitely like old goat (laughs) jeff bridges can you believe they're making an r.i.p.d two or already made an r.i.p.d with martin donovan Uh, or not martin donovan what's his name jeffrey donovan jeffrey donovan yeah yeah i wish it was martin donovan (laughs) just straight out of hal hartley here comes martin donovan in r.i.p.d two yeah we'll get to it but when i saw uh, a certain movie that we watched for this show i was just like him and Jeff Bridges are the same person. Martin Donovan? No, but the guy that I'm talking about from one oh, of the oh, movies. Oh, oh, we'll got it, got here. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, a Wounded Fawn also shot on 16 millimeter. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to give that much of the plot away. It's very much a pandemic movie because it's really just the two of them. Yeah. After a little bit of setup, it's the two of them in a remote cabin. Uh, it's really good. Okay. I really dug it. It'll definitely be on my top 10 horror movie list. Nice. And that's um, on Shutter at the end. Uh, of the I think year. December first, maybe okay. that shows up on Shutter. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's worth checking out Shutter for. And then I've been rewatching some stuff. Uh, one of the movies that we're going to talk about sent me down a rabbit hole a little bit, mm-hmm. and so I rewatched a couple of Douglas Sirk movies, and then I rewatched I'm Not There. Okay. From 2007, which in 2007 was my number one movie of the year. Mm-hmm. And now I look back at it and I'm like, 2007 was such a good year. Yeah. I didn't have Zodiac on my list. I didn't have There Will Be Blood on my Me list. Too. Not on my list. Right. <laughs> but now I feel like either one of those might be my number one. Yeah. Probably not I'm Not There. Are you an I'm Not There fan? I never saw it. Oh, okay. I'm not... Uh, I haven't seen every Todd Haynes movie. Okay. Um... And I've got some good ones to catch up on because I still haven't seen Velvet Goldmine. Oh, my God. I love it. And I haven't seen I'm Not There. The only ones I saw are um, the one one we're going to talk about tonight yeah. and then um, Carol. I've seen Carol. Oh, Carol's so good, too. Yeah. You didn't see Dark Waters? No. Surprisingly good in like an Aaron Brockovich, like here's this indie guy doing a commercial mainstream movie. Yeah. Very much an Aaron Brockovich movie, even down to like the contaminated water mm-hmm. plot. Uh, but really solid stuff, you know. Okay. Even though I prefer, like, with Soderbergh, more his more indie movies. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah, I'm not there. Is a weird movie, and I want to go back. I haven't had a chance to yet, but I want to go back and listen to the Todd Haynes commentary, and just kind of see where his head is at when it comes to all these different portrayals of Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um. I still loved it, and I'm fascinated by it, but I, I want to actually rewatch it again. And then I also rewatched Four Brothers. Oh. The John Singleton joint. Yeah. Uh, better than I remembered. I mean, I liked it when I saw mm. it. Don't think I have seen it since the theater. Yeah. I got very excited when they all sat down for Thanksgiving dinner, because I was like, this is a fucking Thanksgiving movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch this every year on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um I wanted to revisit it because of one of the movies that we're talking about tonight, because there's an actor in one of these movies who I'm getting ahead of myself, but he shows up in that movie. Oh, okay. I I didn't know who he was. And I was like, holy shit, who is that guy? He's so good. Yeah. 
just real fun and over the top. Well, when I saw him in the other movie that we're the two thousand two movie, I mean. yeah, in yeah. Four Brothers, he's yeah. like, I don't know what the fuck yeah. he's doing in Four yeah, Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very over the top. Yeah, he's very. Funny. But everybody's over the top in Four Brothers, and I realized Eat off the floor. <laughs> I might like my favorite Mark Wahlberg is sweet, naive Mark Wahlberg. Okay, Three Kings, Boogie Nights, mm. I Heart Huckabees. Yeah, my next favorite Wahlberg scumbag Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah, blowhard Wahlberg is my yeah. favorite Wahlberg. Yeah. Uh, Four Brothers is definitely scumbag Wahlberg. Yeah. I got the rock now. I got the rock now, <laughs> bro. I'm one of the Four Brothers. You got a Chinese spirit rib hanging out of your leg. Um, yeah. No, so I, much posturing in that movie. I mean, it's, it's such ridiculous. a dick-swagging movie. It but really like, is. Uh, I... It's the best movie of 2005. <laughs> like I have uh Rob came up with a theme for reserve seating last year that I want to repeat next year. Okay. Where ringing in 2022 it was our favorite movie from the year we turned 22. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me it was 2004. So this year because it's 23, like 2023 yeah. it would be for 23, so it would be 2005. Okay. And we've already talked about Four Brothers. So oh, I have to come right. up with like a different one, but like it's Four Brothers. Like, really? That's the only that's your one, number one. That's I think the only movie from 2005 I still watch. There's. It wasn't a big yeah. like rewatchable year for me. Okay. I'd have to look back. Uh, 2005 is where Erica and I left off at our like revisiting. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of movies that came out that year that I liked. At the time, Match Point was my favorite, but I can't do that. No. It was on my list. It would not yeah. be on my list anymore. Yeah. Maybe Munich. I don't know. Munich's good. Munich's really good. Not yeah. to get ahead of myself, but my number one of two thousand, uh, my original number one in two thousand five was King Kong. Okay, the Peter Jackson. No, I I don't remake. dislike it, but I've never warmed to that movie. I don't blame you. Yeah, I don't know that it would still be my number one. Sure, it would probably be Four Brothers because it's perfect. It's four stars, <laughs> one for each brother. <laughs> Even Garrett uh, Headland, he, he's perfectly cast. He's fine in that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's every once in a blue moon, it's like that triple frontier where i'm just like this is what you do with garrett right right yeah stop trying to make him a star anyway let's talk 90210 yeah um so do you want to get the 10 out of the way first we can go in any order you like i feel like we should get the 10 should we do that last okay yeah do the 902s first that makes sense that makes more sense (laughs) we'll do that so you you pick the first one okay hold on i gotta pull up uh the list of movies that we watched oh thank you adam's got it right here let's start at a low point okay for me rules of attraction all right so I picked this movie because, A, I thought I owned it, <laughs> and B, because... It was on freebie. I didn't know that at the time. Oh, okay. But I know at one point I owned the DVD. I bought it from, like, the Walmart cutout bin for mm-hmm. probably $3. And I bought it, even though I didn't love the movie in theaters, mm-hmm. I bought it. It had a lot of extras, including, like, a commentary by Carrot Top, who had never seen the movie before, Yeah. but did a commentary in mm-hmm. real time. And I was like, well, I got to hear that. Never listened to it. Mm-hmm. Don't think I took the movie out of the shrink wrap. Must have sold it off at some point mm. because I was like, I don't like this movie and I'm never going to rewatch it. Why do I own it? Yeah. Um, was sure that I still owned it. Came down here to get it, to watch for this podcast. Discovered it is not on the shelf. Thankfully, it's on freebie and I didn't have to pay to see the rules of attraction again. Uh, it's Here's the thing. I read the Brett Easton Ellis book, 
shortly after high school or maybe when I was like a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the book. I found the characters all unlikable. I don't like Brett Easton Ellis's whole worldview and it's all drugs and sex in ways that don't interest me. There are ways to make those subjects interesting. I don't think he manages to do that. I think the movie is a pretty good interpretation of the book. I think it's pretty well directed. I think there's some sequences that are pretty incredible. Most notably the whole Kit Pardue, like here's my trip to wherever Amsterdam or Europe, which has been parodied a lot since then. And it's always funny. Sure. People do that. Right. Um, but I still am just not crazy about the movie. And I think a lot of that comes down to the source material and a lot of it comes down to there are some choices that Roger Avery makes mm-hmm. that I just really don't like. And we were texting back and forth about one of them. Which is? A girl at one point in the movie who's in love with Vanderbeek from afar kills herself. Yeah. And they play this like ironic, easy listening uh, song. Without You by Hearing Nielsen. Okay. Which is a beautiful song. And I want like a, a song that I really love. And the fact that it was used in a, a snarky way for yes. something so horrible. Yes. Re- like, I walked out of the room, and I kept, like, peeking, and I'm like, is it fucking over yet? And, like, <laughs> it just went on and on and on. It's the snark that yeah. really bothers me when you're dealing with suicide. Yeah. To be snarky about it and also it does, me the wrong way. And also it does that thing that I think is such catnip for morons where, <laughs> like, it's like the original podcast cut- <laughs> of this show or the original name of this podcast <laughs> where they just cut back to like scenes from earlier in the movie. And it's like, she was always there. Oh, she Jesus. was always in the yes, background. And you. I just listened to something where Tarantino was talking about how he considers himself like a conductor and he's conduct and the audience is the orchestra and he's conducting it. And stuff well, he's like the first person to make that metaphor. Yeah. And I'm just like, if Roger Avery was a conductor, he's conducting it for the dumbest person in the auditorium <laughs> when, when he makes that choice. I think he makes some other choices that are not, I was having a really difficult time with the movie okay. for a very long time. Okay. And then by the end of it, I think there was that one scene with like Ian Summerhalder and he's at dinner with like his like friend who's like a real lout and like Susie Kurtz is there and or Susie oh, Kurtz yeah, yeah, is yeah. there and somebody else. Um She's my favorite swoozy. She's very swoozy. Um <laughs> the swooziest of swoozies. I get a little woozy when I see the swoozy. <laughs> She's my Colonel Kurtz. I would go down river for the swoozy. <laughs> for the swoozy. That's swoozy. <laughs> I love the smell of swoozy in the morning. Smells like victory. You gotta clear this area so swoozy can surf. Swoozy don't surf. Yeah. Swoozy Kurtz, man. Swoozy Kurtz is in there, man. And she fucking is telling the doc it is, man. Anyways. So um, I like that scene a lot. I thought it was funny. It would like was the first time that I kind of was on the wavelength of the movie okay. where I'm just like, okay, these people are just the worst. Yes. And one thing that I liked about that is the the movie has sort of like you know scenes are played backwards and like yeah the movie kind of ends in like a circular way 
And I thought that as kind of a theme was interesting because I'm just like, yeah, these people would just be doomed to repeat sure. how they're going to act all the sure. time. And I thought that was interesting. And I, like, it was cool seeing like some of the cast when they were younger and whatnot. I think a lot of them are miscast, which I think is well, a problem. Well, it's, it's, it's that fucking thing where he takes a bunch of like young teen stars yeah. who all want to show off their dark side. Yeah. So you get Thomas Ian Nicholas and Jessica Biel and James Vanderbeek all going dark, man. And yeah. it's like, no, I'm not buying this from any of you. Right. We texted um, when we were both watching it how, like, Vander Beek was indicating, like, a motherfucker. Yes. It was, like, where he's just, like, uh, he's, like, it's, like, when Vince Vaughn's mad. Where he's just, like, <laughs> has his mouth hanging open and you're just, like, and he's, like, all, like, squishy-eyed. Um, so it's, like, oh, Vince Vaughn's mad. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> Vander Beek was all, like, leering and, like, yes. darting his eyes and everything like that. He, like, and, learned how to do the Kubrick stare and that's half of his performance. <laughs> it's really weird. Like, it just seems very performative of, like, I'm mentally ill. Yes, I think, you know, it's a real show-offy movie from the Roger Avery yeah. standpoint. Like, yeah. he has all these things he wants to do in a movie. Mm-hmm. He does them all. And I guess this is the kind of movie where you could do some real show-offy shit because there's not a lot of substance here. Mm-hmm. It made me feel bad for Shannon Sossum in the whole movie because I just was like, she deserves better than this. I also think she's a little miscast because I think that she's so... Uh, special i guess in a way because like there's really nobody who was like her yeah of that time period yeah and when you put her in a knight's tale or 40 days 40 nights like i remember like you used to say with like arnold schwarzenegger that there was and not in a bad way but it was like he was kind of the other yeah. he kind of had that quality yeah jan sossman kind of has that quality to me where it's just like she's so unique mm-hmm. she dresses like a newsie <laughs> I mean, but like she's she's a DJ. There's just something like, I don't know who cut her hair in this movie. <laughs> yeah, Josh Hartnett, probably. No, but there's something just like very watchable about her. Sure. Um, in idiosyncratic and interesting. Um, and her playing kind of like the everyman character type, it just doesn't really work. Okay. For me, yeah. In that sense, I think like. I always thought like Ian Summerholder or whatever from I think he was on Vampire Diaries or whatever, but like he's convincing in the movie. He always looked like Blue Steel to me, but like in yeah. this, like I'm he's just all, like he's if all just any... cheekbones and posing and yeah. But I'm just like towards the end, I'm just like it's kind of James Marsdeny where it's a little self-aware more than yeah, I gave yeah, it credit yeah. for. Sure, and whatever heart this movie has, it's kind of coming mostly from him. Okay. I'm getting at least towards the end. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just Roger Avery is a filmmaker I struggle with, especially I'm looking after up the rest of his filmography right now because yeah. I think I've only seen this and Killing Zoe. Yeah, Zoe. And I just think that he he I don't think that he's as good as he thinks that he is, and it he he's um, when I was reading like the IMDb trivia about it, he was going on about like. He was doing an interview where he thought that, like, in Killing Zoe, like, he had, like, a magic in a bottle 
sequence or shot or whatever that he captured and then he's just like i thought that that was something that you only get like once in a career but then like when i shot jessica beale like in her underwear like walking down the hallway with the football players and stuff he's just like i got it again and stuff and i'm just like you can't say that about your own movie (laughs) also like congratulations you cast a hot person and put her in her underwear like i gotta say all right how iconic jessica beale is like another person where I just get nothing from her. Like, no, I don't either. I and I mean, she's like objectively beautiful, exactly, right? But I'm just like, there's nothing there. I I know you're not actually going to do this, and I'm not recommending that you do yeah. it. But mm-hmm. there was a USA like miniseries that she did called The Sinner with Bill Pullman. Yeah, that was the first time I saw her in something where I was like, oh, okay, okay, there's more. It's also like one of the best Bill Pullman performances ever. But for the most part, yeah, she's. She reads as nothing to me. Yeah. Um, and then Kate Bosworth's in it at the beginning. Oh, she's going to come up again. She will come up again. I'm turning the corner on Kate Bosworth. We're in 2002. I want good things for her. In 2002, I was just like, I don't get the Kate Bosworth thing. Yeah. After rewatching her in this, which she doesn't have a lot to do. No. I'm rewatching her in the other movie. Yeah. And, and then the seeing her in movie. like. House of Darkness yeah. and everything like that. I'm the just title like, of which I wouldn't have come up with if you gave me one million dollars right in now. In my honorable mentions. <laughs> um, I just have become a fan of hers. I think that there's something kind of interesting about her as she's getting older. So, I was a fan of her in 2002, mm-hmm. and I wanted good things for her. Yeah. Like when A Date with Tad Hamilton came out, and I was like, she should be the lead of a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. She's really good and sweet and likable in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then her career just didn't go places that yeah. it should have, that I felt it should have gone. Yeah. And I was kind of off the Kate Bosworth train. And I won't say House of Darkness got me back on it, but it was nice to see her have a lead role again. Mm-hmm. And you can tell she's really surfing. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> we'll those, get to that. those digital <laughs> face swaps. Yeah. Uh, some real Caster Troy shit. Uh, it's like they had 10 minutes and they were just oh like, let's God. get facial technology from N64's <laughs> GoldenEye. <laughs> so there are so many movies yeah. on this list mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen in 20 years yeah rules of attraction was one of them so that's why this is my I picked first it. time seeing it yeah. i didn't want to just pick movies that i liked from 2002 mm-hmm. i wanted a range i wanted to revisit stuff i was curious if 20 years would turn me around on rules of attraction it did not i still am not really a fan i won't yeah. call it an outright bad movie it's just not for me yeah it was my least favorite i think of the nine 2002s we revisited interesting but... i might have one i liked less <laughs> or no i take it back it was number eight there <laughs> yeah. is one that's less that's yeah. lesser um yeah. but i i'm happy i saw it and it's not it's exactly the movie that i thought it was when yes. i skipped it in 2002 <laughs> um but you know could have been worse I, it doesn't help that i've been listening to that podcast and i hear Roger Avery, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, this is the guy who made this movie? It's frustrating because, like, there's episodes that are so good. Like, I listened to the Star 80 episode yeah. that you talked about, yeah. and I'm just like, well, now I have to keep listening because this is, like, really good. Yeah. But, yeah, Tarantino's carrying the weight. <laughs> I... Sure, Roger. I don't even know. I won't even say I'm sure he's a nice guy because I don't. I read yeah, stuff I and I right, don't even yeah, think right. that he is. So, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah. Okay, my turn. Yep. To pick. All right. Yep. So I will go with what I think is both of our least favorite. Okay. 
Serving Sarah, <laughs> yeah. which was one of your picks, <laughs> which made me sad when I remembered it was directed by Reginald Hudlin. Which is literally why I picked it, because I was okay. like, surely there's more to this movie than I remember. Fucking Reginald Hudlin made this movie. House Party? What did he do after House Party? Uh, there was one. I mean, like, he produced a lot of stuff, but he made Boomerang for fuck's Boomerang, sake. Boomerang. That's yeah. the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Boomerang, like when we did that series where we revisited stuff from 92 boomerang was like the highlight for me of rediscovery yeah it was so good yeah um and it's so sad for everybody in this movie because it's like failed movie star matthew perry's last ditch effort to be a lead yes it's reginald hudlin reginald hudlin not really like in his peak at all um no material it's more the material's fault than his fault i wouldn't say there's anything wrong with the direction per se um elizabeth hurley kind of was like failed movie star at that point too and this she had already kind of peaked in terms of like her opportunity to become a movie star this was like like matthew perry this is almost the last ditch effort yeah it's a real like late august movie yeah um and you, yeah, you you said that it was like shitty midnight run, basically. <laughs> I could just, I, yeah, watching it, and I didn't know this when I picked it, but of course Matthew Perry just had a book come out, and mm-hmm. uh, so there's been a lot of press about Matthew Perry, and I think I texted you some Elizabeth Hurley interview where she said like it was a nightmare making that movie. Yeah. They had to reshoot at least half of it. Yeah, because he was slurring his words. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, oh, I think he took this movie, and while he was making it thought he was making midnight run yeah. down to the leather jacket that he wears which is the same jacket that de niro wears in yeah. midnight run yeah it's just like one of those dead on arrival comedies and it is something where you know bruce campbell kind of plays the mark like the the shit heel right, husband right. that they're trying to con um it would have just been so much more interesting if he was the the what do they call it the uh, process server process server yeah, yeah. If, if it was bruce camp i mean he wasn't a big enough star to right. like lead a paramount movie right but you know he, he would have just made something out of it yeah and i could see him having like fun chemistry with with elizabeth hurley um she's done no favors she's just basically you know they ask her to be like hot and that's about it and I've gone to bat for Elizabeth Hurley before because I think she's really think she's good. great yeah. in the original Austin Powers. Yeah. I really like her in Bedazzle. The yeah, movie she's great I think is it. pretty excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she seems lost in this movie. And again, knowing now what she yeah. was working opposite Matthew Perry in the throes of a drug addiction and yeah. reshooting half the movie, you can't really blame her for giving the performance that she gives, mm-hmm. but she does seem to be going through the motions. It seems like there's a lot of, like, let's shoot around Matthew Perry and the recipient of the more material with Cedric the Entertainer. And <laughs> yeah. he's, like, really, like, He's playing the Joey Pants role. And he's, like, really sticking it up. And it was interesting for me because it was a performance that was, like, so not working for me. Yeah. That it went over the top and started working for <laughs> me. And that's happened sometimes. Like, Has he ever been great in a movie? Like I like him He's as a, a presence, movie. and I really... barbershop. I just watched barbershop. Okay, he's very. I mean, barbershop is like, it's a unicorn. It's the good Tim Story movie, but like, right? 
he's i mean the thing that's really cool about it is like everybody else is playing modern and right. just kind of their persona so to speak well right. i won't say everybody but like most of them are just kind of you know eve is playing eve sean oh patrick God, thomas so is playing sean patrick thomas <laughs> right, stuff right. like that. michael ely is playing michael ely <laughs> but like cedric the entertainer is just like i'm going coming to america in this one <laughs> And it works. It's a good performance. I remember really liking him in original Kings of Comedy, and he's always he's somebody the funniest, that I'm like. I think him or Bernie Mac are the funniest. Uh, Bernie too. Mac kind yeah. of fucking kills yeah. it in that movie. Some but, of uh, the bitches. <laughs> Barbershop, by the way, such like a Sunday afternoon pleasant surprise. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you go in expecting nothing, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was so charming. Yeah. I never saw any of the sequels. I saw both of them. Okay. Two is a real big step down. Okay. Real it's a real Home Alone 2 situation. It, it's just the, no, come on. It's just the <laughs> classic, like, comedy sequels are always a bad idea. Like Home Alone 2? It's, come on. <laughs> um, and then Barbershop 3 has, like, I remember it was, like, real social awareness oh, okay. stuff. Like, I forgot what the cause was but like it almost kind of got in the way of the comedy where they they were like very, being very earnest about problems in chicago and i think okay. like one of the characters got shot and died at some point not, not one of the main cast but it like wasn't it, eve was it it wasn't eve don't you hurt my eve no who drank my goddamn apple juice <laughs> and then my favorite line in the whole movie is sean patrick thomas he's just like did you see me drink your apple juice do you have the ocular proof Erica runs a film club at school and, and she just showed them goes, barbershop. Yeah. That's so good. And then somebody after he says ocular proof, somebody in the background just ADR it's like ocular. <laughs> <laughs> a perfect gag. Yeah, it's really funny. Um Amy Adams shows up in Serving yeah. Sarah and is so dialed in. Yeah. She Amy was in uh Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah. Was that before or after this? Oh, that, was that was before. before. That was yeah, in okay. like 98 or 99. Same year as her in Catch Me If You Can. Oh, wow. Yeah. Surprised that it took that long for her to to kind of break it's out. It's insane. And then she becomes a giant Oscar-nominated movie star and then apparently gets the world's worst agent. Yeah. Who just puts her in shit after shit. Mm-hmm. I'm very upset about what's happened to Amy Adams. It's really strange. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since, like, Arrival, it's right. just been... yeah not good i don't get it man Mm -mm. i haven't seen disenchanted i'm guessing (laughs) you'll be disenchanted (laughs) but i saw that fucking good terminator bad terminator movie (laughs) i didn't bother with that oh oh, Mm -hmm. it's really good now he's a fucking senator good for you not really um (sighs) yes uh sir yeah serving sarah Real shitty. Again, hadn't seen mm-hmm. it. I saw it at AMC 20 years ago. Hadn't mm-hmm. seen it since. Was curious to revisit it. It was on Amazon Prime. I was like, all the stars are lining up to revisit Serving yeah. Sarah. I remember that movie came out the weekend, like right before. Like I was, it came out on Friday and on Monday, I was supposed to go back to college. It was like my going into my junior year. And I like fell in love over the summer. I was dating somebody. And we were basically like, should we go see Serving Sarah or should we just like stare at each other and be sad? And then like we ended up just staring at each other and being sad. <laughs> well, I saw Serving Sarah with my would-be wife yeah. and neither of us liked it. It was interesting when I was watching it on Amazon Prime. At one point I had to pause it. Mm-hmm. It was right at the moment that they're like on a bus and Matthew Perry is like 
let's we're signing a contract right now. I get, you know, a million dollars or whatever if I serve him first. And I press pause and it was at exactly 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, they literally broke this movie into three 30 minute acts. That's pretty impressive. Right. Yeah. I mean, they timed it exactly right. Yeah. Um, has there ever been a good comedy that culminates at a, in a bullfight? <laughs> Surely there has been. There's been a lot of them, I feel like. <laughs> the hit rate isn't real high. Uh, okay, next one. Uh, I don't remember who picked this. I think it was you. Okay. Narc. It was me. Okay, that's what I thought. Because I only saw it one time. Okay. At the Dollar Theater at the College Mall. I think I've seen this twice, although I think once was with... The audio commentary. Isn't William Friedkin on the audio commentary? I'd have to look. Shit, I don't remember anything. What does um, he have to do with Narc? Just, he was I a think fan. he was just a fan, yeah. Okay. Um, I remember seeing this movie and think being pretty blown away by it. Okay. Uh, the intensity of the performances, um, the intensity of that opening sequence mm -hmm. uh how much it felt like a 70s movie mm -hmm. in a good way mm -hmm. um i i don't know if it's 20 subsequent years of joe carnahan movies or if it just didn't land quite as well for me this time i mean it made me miss ray liotta something fierce it yeah. made me miss I can't say it made me miss Jason Patrick performances. I know he's still acting mostly in DTV stuff. Mm -hmm. I like him in this movie, but I know some behind the scenes shit that he was like on narc or just in general on narc. Okay. Where he like was unprepared mm. and Ray Liotta and Carnahan were having none of it. Okay. Um, so I have that in the back of my head while I'm watching it. I think there's amazing sequences. I still really like the movie overall. Overall, it's very, very gritty. I'd put it, Somewhere in my top three Carnahan's. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts about NARC. Um, so I got to kind of unpack these one by one. The first one is the Joe Carnahan of it all. I used to be a really big Joe Carnahan fan. Um, his last few movies haven't really worked for me. I don't think I've liked any of them since The Grey. Um, I don't think I have either, but what has come since? <laughs> stretch. Nope, didn't uh, like Stretch. Boss Level. Didn't even see Boss Level. I feel like he did. Cop Shop. Yeah, he wasn't crazy about Cop Shop. I love The Gray. The Gray's real good. I really, I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember really enjoying Smoking Aces as a Pretty fun. Saturday night special, like Four Brothers type of thing. I think Smoking Aces, unfortunately, or Smoking Aces, predicted where his career would go more than Narc. Narc almost seems like a complete outlier. Yeah, it sure does. Narc and the yeah. Gray, I think, are of a piece. Okay. The rest of his filmography is very smoke and aces. Yeah. Um, so my question when I was thinking about the Joe Carnahan of it all, how many movies of a director's do you have to like or what percentage of them <laughs> for you to say, I'm a fan of this director and not just I like two of his movies? Right. Uh, I don't know a percentage. Mm -hmm. Because with Joe Carnahan, it's like I like listening to Joe Carnahan talk. Yeah, he's a thought. He's in a documentary that I watch a lot called Out of Print about the new Beverly, and just hearing him talk about like 
cinema history and rap stuff is like really he seems like a really good dude yeah like i'm a little afraid of him yeah he would have no patience for me sure because i'm such a beta you know (laughs) so uh but i like listening to him talk so i'm a i'm a fan of him as a person yeah i like that he makes the movies that he wants to make I like Narc. I like The Gray. I like Smoke and Aces. And I'm a, I am know you're not, but I'm a big fan of The A-Team, which was kind of his oh, yeah. okay. big studio shot. Yeah. Um, but that's probably it for me. Yeah. So I don't know if I could say I like Joe Carnahan overall. I could definitely say, like, I was a fan of his for a long time. But just, yeah, I don't even know anymore because every subsequent movie I see of his, I just like it less and less. Um, the fact that I haven't even watched Boss Level, even though yeah. it's on Hulu, is like pretty telling because at one point i absolutely would have watched a new joe carnahan movie yeah so okay uh ray liotta next um so i agree with you like for some reason i don't think i'm ready to like admit to myself that he's gone yeah it was i didn't feel it when i was watching it It just it felt like he was still with us i was so thinking i'm like he's maybe it's just this the the weight he put on mm-hmm. and he just looks so massive and wide and everything he kind of has like a d'onofrio thing oh sure yeah one. i can see that and it's such a good performance yes. um and it does something interesting with his kind of like you know volcanic temper and everything like that that we haven't seen of his in a movie and i feel like i might be wrong no i am wrong because, like, Han- he did Hannibal and he did Blow, not too, like... I don't remember him in Blow at he all. He was uh, Johnny Depp's father Ugh. in Blow. I haven't seen Blow but since he's the great. theater. He's great in Blow. He's great in everything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this felt like... I don't know if it was just, like, the first time he was getting, like, Oscar buzz for something. But I remember at the time it came out, it was, like, there was, like, a little minor groundswell where they're just, like, he might get nominated yeah. for this. And... That was the thing that stuck in my head and kind of made me want to see the movie because Joe Carnahan didn't mean anything to me at the time. And, like, I didn't care about Jason Patrick. <laughs> um, and then also this time the movie made me think a lot of, like, this is sort of a less commercial version of Training Day. In a sure. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I might like it more than Training Day. I like Training Day better. But I think the problem for me with NARC, which is a movie I've – I respect, but I've never really like warmed to. Okay. There's two things. One is I think the final set piece is too, it feels too stage bound. Yes. And it goes on forever. Way too long. It felt like the scene. Almost of, 35 minutes or something. I mean, it's crazy yeah. where you're like, and we're it's here a, already. It's a long movie. No, that's the thing. Because so, yeah. I remember we get to that scene with Buster Rhymes and I'm like, yeah. oh shit, we're here already? This is the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's long, like the talking killer scene from the Bob's Burgers movie, where I'm just like, "Can we leave this room, please?" Um, and then the uh, I'm smirking myself because I'm great. I'm very happy that I came up with that. Um, so it happens sometimes. You got to admit it. Um, so the uh, the other thing is, I heard this is okay. Have you ever heard like somebody explain something in mo- about filmmaking to you? And like now you just think about it all the time. Like the Coen brothers saying directing is tone management. So now I'm just like, if I'm judging directing, I'm just like how the tone management of it all. Right. I heard somebody say kind of the difference, like a plot is what happens in a movie and a story is how you tell it. Okay. And like performances, like how, how the filmmaking of it. Yeah. Right. 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 And I kept thinking that with one other movie we're going to talk about later. And then also with NARC where I'm just like, 
the plot is interesting, but the problem is it's hard to tell a story where one character is deliberately sabotaging it so the investigation doesn't work. Okay. And from a cop, I'm such a fan of like cop procedurals. Yeah, me too. That like that sort of performance interruptus thing <laughs> is very frustrating. Okay. Um, but where the movie ends, especially kind of with like the tape recorder and the implications of all that right. and everything like that, I think is really good. Like it yeah. ends on a high note. Yeah. I think the performances are are good. It's just something that I find kind of tedious by the end. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm still I'm still in on Narc. Um this is the movie that gets him Mission Impossible 3. Yeah. Yeah, cuz Tom Cruise produced it. Yes. He yeah. came on like once it was already made, I okay. think, and just like lent him and Paula Wagner just like lent their names yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Uh cuz they were so impressed by it and it gets him Mission Impossible 3, which he subsequently gets himself fired from <laughs> or quits. Yeah. yeah. Depending on who's telling the story. Um I think, you know, there's moments where I think Jason Patrick is trying so hard to out intense Ray Liotta mm. and that's just a losing game. Yeah. Almost no one can out intense Ray Liotta, especially yeah. in this mode, you know? Also the training day comparison, it's just like I'm so much more into like what Ethan Hawke is doing with that type of role yeah. than I could what see Jason that. Patrick is. I could is see doing. that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I end up liking this movie. I, I maybe liked it a little bit less for some of the reasons that you're pointing out, in particular mm-hmm. the length and the way that whole ending sequence plays out. Because yeah. it is very repetitive, mm-hmm. especially once you've seen the movie more than once. Like yeah. the first time, maybe it works because you're like, I don't know where this is going. What's going to happen to these guys? Mm-hmm. But once you know the end game, you're just like waiting for that reveal and like yeah, it just takes forever. I do like that they're... They never have a scene where they're, like, bonding, really. Right. They they do have a scene where, like, Ray Liotta explains, like, what happened to his wife and, like, how, like, whatever humanity he had is gone with her right, right, and everything right. like that. But it's never, like, where they become they, – they meet each other with, like, mutual – well, I think they have respect for each other, but, like, they never warm to each other in a right. way – it always feels like this is the guy who was assigned to me and we're working this one right, case and that's right. it. So I, I like that part of it. Um, to correct something I said earlier, Friedkin is not on the audio commentary. He does like an interview on the DVD where he talks about mm-hmm. how he's such a fan of NARC and calls it the best police procedural he's ever seen. Okay. Which is wild because he yeah. made the French connection. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it definitely feels like one of these seventies movies. I could see why William oh, Friedkin sure, would respond sure. to it so much. Yeah, it definitely feels like a movie that Sidney Lumet like, yes, yes, would yes. have done in the seventies. Yes. Um, your turn. All right. Um, let's go with Blade Two. All right. All right. That was one of my picks. Yes. I don't know why. Um. Blade 2 for me was another was the other movie where I'm just like the plot is more interesting than the story. Okay. Cuz I think the Reapers are good villains. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the whole this did wanted 6 years before wanted okay. where it was like we're teaming up and like oops all bad guys and like <laughs> I I'm a fan of the oops all bad guys. I like that in an action yeah. movie. Um my issue with Blade 2, and I kind of have this with Blade also, 
there's two th- well the the one that i share in common over the two movies um that i have an issue with is i think that the shitty cgi Oof. fucks up yeah. what are otherwise impressive action scenes that clearly wesley snipes put a lot of work into yeah. and his stunt team or wh- whomever um and it just neuters them as action s- set pieces so that that bums me out and then also i think blade is just such a better looking movie like yes. this feels like phlegm on screen <laughs> and i i have this with guillermo del toro i've said it before i don't want to like harp on it but like i just think so much of his movies like i would enjoy them so much more in most cases if they just didn't look if they were just 50 percent less icky looking sure so i don't know I don't really love his whole like pea soup puke aesthetic. Yeah, this whole movie needs fucking Mucinex. <laughs> um, I don't remember it looking as much like a Del Toro movie as it does. Yeah, because this was another one that I probably hadn't seen in eighteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, it was like my favorite Del Toro movie, definitely my favorite Blade movie. Mm-hmm. I would probably now give the advantage to the original Blade, and I think it has everything to do with the aesthetic yeah i just think the 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 norrington aesthetic in the first movie matches the story that's being told matches the character matches the Mm -hmm. the world that's being built in a way that i don't quite think the del toro aesthetic matches what's going on here even though yeah there's all this shit i love like what would be a villain to a vampire well a new vampire whose Mm -hmm. face opens and then we get to the end where the one guy's the one vampire thing, whatever they're called, what, Reapers, Reapers, is killing his dad, and I'm like, it's fucking Shakespearean, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like there's yeah. a lot of really great stuff. I still really like Blade too, uh, but I do think I come down a little bit more on the side of the original Blade. Yeah, I'm just sort of mixed on both of them. Like I want to like them a little bit more than I do. I. Definitely was more like a Blade Two fan in two thousand two than As Blade because I. I I just was like that movie kicked ass for yeah. lack of a better yeah, yeah. term but um yeah I don't know I just uh, haven't really stuck with it over over the years um yeah this is not my series no uh this was uh when I did go to the convention. And I made the mistake of walking past Norman Reedus's table without went to VIP Reedus. Which oh, that convention, okay. It was a uh, Wizard World. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like this woman just like rush, rushes up to me and she's like, "You VIP Reedus? You VIP Reedus?" And she's <laughs> and I'm like the guy from Blade Two. And then she's just like, "You can't be here." And I'm just like, "All right, fine." You said the wrong movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm not crazy about his character. I'm not crazy about them bringing Whistler back. Yeah, he's not the, that I want Chris Christopherson to die because he's very entertaining to have on screen because he's just such a fucking curmudgeon and he's just like, oh, yeah. blade you fart nugget. You know, <laughs> Do you like, think Chris Christopherson sees Jeff Bridges and he's just like <laughs> he stole my goddamn bit. <laughs> I didn't know I could do a Chris Christopherson. That Anybody can. They can just talk like this. <laughs> that guy stole my goddamn bit. <laughs> um, I I don't. I don't love the. I mean, I like what you're saying about oops, all bad guys, but I hate that they're called the Blood Pack, and like, yeah. I'm just not into. Oh, and the Donnie Yen thing you mentioned. What that. the fuck? <laughs> yeah, they definitely did not know what they had. I didn't remember Donnie Yen being yeah. in this movie. I'm like, wait, is that fucking Donnie Yen wearing eyeliner? And then he yeah. does nothing. Yeah, shows off none of his abilities. 
is presumably killed off screen. Yeah, I because we don't track even of find. Him. Yeah, I, so did I. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of problems with Blade Two. There's still a lot of awesome mm. stuff in it too, and I think I texted you within the first five minutes and said like we did not deserve Wesley Snipes because he's yeah. such a badass. Uh, and he's so great with the fight choreography. Again, mm. well, a lot of which is undermined by lame CGI, but there's still enough of it that I'm like, Jesus, Wesley Snipes was so cool and so charismatic. Yeah. Such a great movie star. And uh, That's another one where like 2002, kind of his last yeah. stand as a leading man. Yeah. And it was only because like he was, it, it was kind of like an indi- uh, early indicator of, what we're seeing now where it's just like you're bankable as this right but as nothing else right and that's kind of where he was in o2 i am excited because i did recently find and purchase for two dollars mm-hmm. a sealed snap case of the art of war which i've, I've never, never seen, seen it <laughs> no i haven't either. i didn't see murder at 1600 either. i did see that okay it's not good um as you mentioned it is the address that changes all the rules <laughs> it does Dwight H. Little? Uh, yeah, shit. Dwight H. Little's next movie has Jason James Richter in it. Interesting. And I'm just like, Free Willy 2 reunion? <laughs> um, forgot what it was called. It has like a decent cat. Daniel Harris is in it too. It's like a bunch of like it's his old DHL people. It's just DHL calling up all the old yeah. gang. Um, when you mentioned like the sealed snapcase thing, that yeah. reminded me. So I bought my copy of NARC at Half Price Books a long time ago. Nice. Um, but it was never opened. So it was shrink wrapped and it had like all those security stickers on it. So it took me like five minutes to get the damn thing open. And the entire time I was just like, should I just rent it? <laughs> like, even though it's sitting, I was so like put out by, I mean, it was definitely, it was the last movie I watched because I'm just like, that's too many stickers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's part of this new, um, I, don't, I think it was Imprint who put out the first neo-noir box set, and they're putting out another one, and mm-hmm. NARC is part of that. So I'm excited to have it on Blu-ray. Oh, but okay. um, the movie is called Natty Knox. Good it's title. A, it's a horror movie. Robert England is going to show up. I guarantee it's in a cameo. Mm-hmm. Bill Mosley. Jason James Richter. Okay, so Richter, Free Willy 2, Halloween 4, Daniel Harris, yeah. Phantom of the Opera, Robert Englund. Yeah. Do you ever work with Mosley? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know what he would have worked with Mosley on. New to the traveling company. Uh, Yeah, Jason James Richter was in his last movie, too, called The, the Last Rampage. Hmm. Was he in that, or did he, like, produce? No, he was in it. Okay. Okay. Um, he was in that movie, The Little Things, with Denzel Washington, and he oh was God, the, it was Rami Malek's partner. And I was so distracted because it's like if you don't know who James Jason James Richter is, it's like oh yeah, that's the guy who <laughs> plays right, the partner. Right. But like the entire time, I'm like, why aren't you giving Jesse anything to do? <laughs> At least give him a whale friend. Give him the goddamn harmonica and see if <laughs> the whale shows up again. Um, yeah. Uh, is that it for Blade 2? Yeah. All right. You're up. Blood work, baby. Blood work. Blood work. I, this was like the second time in six months that I saw blood work. <laughs> Why? <laughs> for what the first the time other? in 20 years. Last year, I was just on a major Eastwood kick. Okay. And revisited blood work for the first time in 19 years. Yeah. So watching it again was very familiar to me because I had just seen it. Yeah. Um, It is a very relaxed. <laughs> uh, Super relaxed. <laughs> mystery. Yeah. 
Uh, that's very enjoyable. It's like, yeah. it's so like JV Clint, but not, I don't mean that in a mean way. Like there's bad yeah. Clint movies and then there's just Clint movies that like are only shooting to be three stars. And this movie nails that. Yeah. He's definitely like, he went into, he kind of had that prestige run right after this. Where it was like Mystic River, Ugh. Million Dollar Baby, right. Flags of Our Fathers, Letters to Emo Jima. Which is a good run. but There is a good run. Yeah. I mean, but like his, his movies were kind of like Clint Eastwood's in, directed it. It's immediately an Oscar contender. And like I have a lot of affection for the sort of wilderness period where it's like absolute <laughs> power, true crime, blood I, work, I, stuff I like that. I kind of do too. And yeah, to your point, nobody would direct this story this way other than clint eastwood (laughs) right and i love that it's funny because i guess all right spoiler for blood work we're gonna reveal who the killer is so jeff daniels is the not so surprised (laughs) killer what's jeff daniels doing in this movie oh right he's the killer as playing his you know uh marina neighbor um (laughs) basically still playing uh harry Harry from dumb and dumber He shits all over the crime scene. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past him. (laughs) Jasper, no one. Um, My big takeaway with this, well, one, it's shitty insomnia, but not in a a bad way, like in a fun way. Yeah, I can see that. It would definitely be the B feature on the 2002 double with insomnia. But my big takeaway is like the tragedy of this movie is that those two aren't going to be friends anymore. (laughs) Like, because obviously, like, he's playing this psychological mind game right. and everything like that. There's a cat in the mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dominique St. Gerard? Yeah. There's um, a cat in the mouth. But it, it makes me sad. Like, I'm just like, they seem like buddies. <laughs> they do. Yeah. They were. Yeah, He they just were. didn't know that this was a long plot because Jeff Daniels was obsessed with him. Yeah. But God, I mean, like, I'm going to miss when, when Clint is no longer directing movies. There's nobody who's going to make a movie like this ever yeah. again. And it's it just makes me nostalgic in advance, like, that yeah. something like this um, existed. And um, I don't know. I mean, like, the script is Brian Hedge- Helgeland, Helgeland yeah. um, who worked with Eastwood again. I think Mystic he wrote Mystic River. He yeah. wrote L.A. Confidential. Yeah. He wrote um, the Postman. Most importantly, he did write the Postman. He's got uh, wrote and directed he wrote Nightmare Tale, on Elm Street Four. <laughs> Elm Street Four, maybe one of my least favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah, Bloodwork is better. Bloodwork definitely better. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street Four, cool, and Bloodwork. I for sure was <laughs> confusing Bloodwork with True Crime though, because mm-hmm. for That's the first the, half of the yeah. movie, I was like, when does Mary McCormick show up and die in a car accident? Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't happen in this movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't love the female lead. Wanda de Jesus? Sure. Okay. I know she's in TV. I kind of wished it was somebody with a little more star power. Like, I can see who that. Who could be Clint's equal a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding that not many people are Clint's equal when it comes to star power. Like, that dude is a fucking icon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie is like... Again, it's a total barbershop. It's like a Sunday afternoon happy surprise. It's like you go to see Bloodwork because you're like, oh, Clint Eastwood has another fucking movie, and you go see Bloodwork, and you're like, man, that wasn't bad. That, yeah. was, that was 
surprisingly decent. There's a really good poster. It's like Clint Eastwood's huge head, and then um, it's all blood red and everything. It looks like a better Blade Two poster than Blade <laughs> Two. Head. Um, and I think it's so funny because you're just like, man, this movie's gonna be fucked up. It's gonna be like dark, like seven or something. And then you watch it. And it might as well. The poster might as well have been like him swinging in a hammock. <laughs> Like, it's another one of these movies that's like, I'll solve this crime from 12 to (laughs) 4. He's going to solve a murder when he gets around to it. I feel good. (laughs) It's like like so slow that Jeff Daniels is just like, I'm the killer. I'm the killer. And then Clint's like, what? And he's just like, I didn't say anything. I'm the killer. I'm the killer. Huh? Is it possible that I could have seen this movie the same day that I saw Triple X? Yeah, it came out the same day. Then I August for 9, sure. 2002. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah. Erica and I went to California. Yeah. Came back, saw both movies as a double feature on like a Monday. Okay. And I was way more into blood work than I was Triple X. I remember wanting to see blood work in theaters and the person I was seeing like refused to go see it because the Eastwood movies didn't mean anything to her. And then I was just like, we couldn't, dis- we, we saw, we had seen signs already. Like she didn't want to <laughs> see triple X and I didn't really want to see triple X at the time either. And I was just like, fine. Well, what the hell are we going to see? And then she's just like, I don't know. You just pick. I'm just so mad right now. Just pick something. And I'm just like, Fine. Martin Lawrence run tell dad. I saw that we... the day before I left for California. <laughs> Not good. No. <laughs> but I was excited to see like a like original Kings of Comedy. I was excited to see a stand up concert film in a theater. Yeah. There's nothing better than seeing a stand up concert film that's not funny in a theater Oof. where nobody's laughing. Oof. It almost makes it funnier. I saw when I was in Orlando, I saw like some Kevin Hart concert movie. This was before Kevin Hart okay. was ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw that. I think it's like What's Up or something. I forgot what it was called. But um, the movie's going on. It's kind of funny. Like some people are laughing, some people aren't. And then, like, he tells this one joke, and this woman just goes, He is so stupid. <laughs> and, and everybody in the theater just lost it. <laughs> so, Amazing. Yeah, it was really good. Clint Eastwood did himself no favors mm-hmm. by directing Unforgiven in, <laughs> yeah. like, 1990? 92. 92. Well, oh, right, because we wrote 90. about it. came it. out in 92. That's right. We wrote yeah. about it mm-hmm. for our 92 thing. Because every movie he made after that needed to be Unforgiven. So when he makes a blood work, it's in such a minor key that you're just like, well, this seems lazy. But he it's didn't not. Even get, he didn't even get credit for, like, the good ones, though. Like, A Perfect World. Perfect just World was is like, so fucking good. It, it's not as good as unforgiven but i mean it's like pretty damn close yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. really good yeah. and everybody's just kind of like what mrs doubtfire's out <laughs> sometimes people that. get divorced yeah so i don't know i never saw bridges of madison county i haven't either good? it's okay. like one of the few clints i have left escape from alcatraz which is in cinema speculation i still haven't seen i haven't seen that one either i've uh, seen dirty harry that's the other one they talk about yeah the other eastwood yeah uh bridges of madison county he did Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I've seen that. He's not in it, but he directed yeah. it. I've seen it. It's not great. Yeah. It was a weird movie for him to direct. He's in. He's impossible to pin down. Yeah. Which no. is, like, kind of interesting. He's got a lot of, like, movies just that along the way, just these kind of, like, lazy specials. Yeah. Like, like that I really enjoy. Like, I, like hereafter i like um i like so much of hereafter which i just saw recently when i was on my clint eastwood kick yeah 
it's kind of tone deaf, but there's like, I could told, I, I was almost ready to watch the mule again a few days ago. <laughs> the mule is very entertaining. <laughs> yeah. That's another movie where we were talking about this before we recorded, where I like read the description of it. I'm like, this movie's going to be hard hitting. And then I watched the mule and I'm just like, this is like fucking Tommy boy with like, <laughs> just like drug mules. I still can't really get down with Gran Torino. Because I think he sides too much with the racist. Like, yeah, I haven't seen it since the theaters. I remember I liking either. it at the time, but okay. like, I think I've changed as a person uh, since then. Did that come out in like two thousand eight? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. might. It was like one of the very first movies we saw after Charlie was born. Yeah, it was either that or Benjamin Button, and I remember Benjamin Button coming out and like ends with a baby dying, and we're like, "But our son was just born," and we're just yeah. both just crying, and I fucking hate that movie. Yeah, yeah, I I hate it without having a son. <laughs> um. Turns out you don't need a kid to hate the curious case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm on you, Fincher. This is bullshit. That so. To go back to the Carnahan conversation, like yeah. how many Finchers do I need to like to say that I like Fincher? Because I don't know if I do. Yeah, and the well, and the thing is, even with like Fincher, it's even harder because the ones that you like are like great movies, higher highs than Carnahan. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, but uh, I'm I'm happy you like Bloodwork, uh, yeah, because I always fun. have felt somewhat alone in that opinion. No. So yeah, in this especially in this run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's such a nice breather type movie. It is, yeah, and it's just like adults doing professional work. Yeah, definitely. It feels like you got like you went to the library and like <laughs> totally. drank and like it's Clint Eastwood. This and is he such like, a library movie. Like, it's like Clint Eastwood like found like the first sixty people he saw at the library, and he's just like. <laughs> You're second on the call sheet. <laughs> You're third. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about Paul Rodriguez. We don't really need to, but impossibly written character. Yeah, I don't but think just he... mugging a little bit and like trying to be funny. If you get the right actor in it who can kind of underplay it a bit, yes. it would have been good. Like if like Leguizamo would have crushed that. <laughs> like but yeah. Don't take my partner's hand unless you mean it. I so I I wanted to see the menu mainly because of Anya Taylor Joy. Is it out? Yeah, it came out Friday. I don't even know when movies come out anymore. Yeah. By the way, I don't I'll, look I'll at with theater this. apps. Um, I'm just like so, I'm so out of it. Yeah, I'm all about apps. <laughs> um, boneless <laughs> celery sticks with ranch. Sure. I mean, yeah. Um, no, but I so Leguizamo is in it. And he said, and he's supposed to be playing like uh, conceited over past his prime movie star. Okay. And he said he based it on Steven Seagal. And Interesting. I'm like, I have to see this yeah, movie as for fast sure. Because yeah. yeah, they were together on executive decision. Yeah, right? they hated each other. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody hated Seagal in that movie, right? Yeah. The story is um, Steven Seagal <laughs> like went on set. And he was being method because he was the leader of this SWAT team or whatever. What they weren't SWAT. I don't remember what they were. It was like a special badass military unit. And he just goes up to all the actors in character and he's just like, You guys listen to me. I'm in fucking command here. And then like Leguizamo started laughing at him. <laughs> and then he like put him in a chokehold, <laughs> like Holy pushed him shit. against the wall and shit. Yeah. He's like, Spawn. Yeah. 
Um, this isn't cool, boy. <laughs> I'm going to tell Shrewsby Kurtz, boy. Didn't the – who did executive decisions? Is that Stuart Baird? Yeah. Didn't he, like, give Seagal hope that his character survived <laughs> just to not have to deal with – Yeah, he basically <laughs> gaslighted him, like, when he was making the movie. He's just like – He's like, yeah, we'll shoot something where it makes it look like, you know, you got away and everything. And then, uh, like, he got to the premiere. Th- this is what I've heard at some point. And, like, he got to the premiere and, like, he was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the best things about that movie. That, More movies especially in 92 like or whenever yeah. that fucking movie came yeah. out. Like, the balls yeah. to take this huge action star yeah. who's, like, featured prominently in all the trailers and fucking Vivian, or Vivian, Janet Lee his ass. Yeah, and it really worked because he's like, you know, had a lot of gravitas, I guess, at the time for sure. that type of movie. Right. And like, you just do not expect it. You expect it to be like this two-hander. With right, right, right. Russell, so. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. It's a little too American Airlines for my taste. Sure. Tickets Paradise. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was only made to be shown on United Airlines flights. Which makes sense. That's yeah. the kind of movie that you yeah. can watch on an airplane. And... I was really distracted the whole time. I'm just like, man, George Clooney's got some great fucking shirts. Oh. Like, it was, I was so bored. I was, like, really <laughs> admiring his shirt game. Um, all right. My pick next, I'll go with um, Blue Crush. Yes. The last one I watched. I just watched it today. Okay. And? Uh, it's kind of what I remembered it being mm-hmm. like very reminiscent of another movie we're going to get to, Yeah. to me, I was like, Oh, these movies are doing the exact same thing, but for different, um, not sub genres, but like, uh, subject matters, yeah. I guess mm-hmm. this one is doing it for surfing. Yeah. Another movie does it for another thing. Yeah. Um, it's a good to decent vehicle for Kate Bosworth. Yeah, I think she kind of pops off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's John Stockwell's Mean Streets. It's a good part for Michelle Rodriguez. Sure, as friend. As friend. But this is Stockwell like saying, like, every movie I'm going to make is going to be about beaches and bikinis. And I'm kind of fine with it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Because, like, he's never been, like, me too So it's just like, yeah, have fun. (laughs) It's, like, crazy beautiful. You want people in their underwear, like, Blue Crush, Teristas, Into the Blue. It's just like, have Into the Blue is his taxi driver. It's really where it reaches its zenith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that crazy beautiful is who's that knocking at my door? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I uh, I liked Blue Crush at the time in yeah. 2002. I liked it a little bit more this time because it's just such a specific like surfer, you know, just kind of simple story and everything like that. You know, for a lot of it, it's just kind of like, what is this even about? And then yeah. you're just like, okay, well, they have to have invent like this competition or whatever in order for it to have some kind of a climax and whatnot. Which is like so pointless. Yeah, I was so stressed out during the Drew scenes. That guy Drew is the fucking worst. <laughs> He's just like, you shouldn't be here. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I wish he could say go fuck yourself. It's a PG-13. He's like, look at your Honda. Your Honda's dumb. <laughs> Yeah, but he's insulting Matt Davis, so who really cares? Yeah, Matt Davis is... Uh, he's like, he's fine, but he's, he's just totally like, he's fine. so vanilla. Yeah, he's just like, very, just go with the flow in a weird way. Like, he's supposed to, you know, he's like... That was one thing I wasn't sure about. Like, 
Were they NFL players there for like the Pro Bowl? Because otherwise, why would they be in Hawaii? And why that was the impression the that long, I got. For the yeah, okay, yeah. I don't know. It's fun. <laughs> it is. Play it a, tries way too hard. It's like I, I was of two minds. On the one hand, I appreciated that like it drops you into this world mm-hmm. and wants you to keep up with all of the like language and turns of phrase and. Um, but then at the same time, I was like, it's trying so hard to put you in this world and have all the characters turtle up, perfect pipe, like uh, hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how you clean up a condom. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like movies don't do that anymore they they will always underestimate your intelligence mm-hmm. so i give it credit for just like trying to drop us into this world but at the same time it is a little bit like it it works over time to yeah i mean it's do it's that. it's no it's not great even for like what it's trying to be it's not great it's yeah. sort of like modest in its aim yeah but it's it's just nice that movies like this existed back then yeah it's kind of at the tail end of like the teen movie resurgence yeah not quite a teen movie because they're a little bit older um progressive in that it's about a female surfer but the whole movie isn't about like i'm trying to Mm -hmm. achieve in a world dominated by men you know there's some lip service paid to it where she says i wish any girl would be on the cover of surf magazine i want it to be me but any girl would do Mm mm-hmm so they do talk about it a little bit, but mostly it's just like, no, this is a movie about a girl surfer. Uh, and it's clearly Kate Bosworth <laughs> surfing. Terrible facial swapping. That's what I remembered effects. from 2002 because yeah. this was another one I hadn't seen in 20 years. Yeah, and even then it was just like, what are, am I looking in at? In 2002 it was very distracting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's that adage that like a movie should either show the joy or the agony of filmmaking. Yeah. I just expect to i i I just i bet john stockwell could barely direct this because he was just jumping up and down behind the camera the entire time like definitely directs barefoot in his fucking element it's crazy and he's such a fascinating guy because he's this actor who like really wants to climb the ranks very early on he's like Mm -hmm. writing and directing at canon after starring in a couple movies for them and Mm -hmm. still takes him until the late 90s to start directing movies or early 2000s i guess crazy beautiful's 2000 right 2001 yeah he starts directing like big studio movies um and now he mostly directs like dtv stuff but it's all set at the beach i feel like the last john stockwell movie i saw was in the blood with Gina Carano back when I would watch a movie with Gina Carano in it. Didn't he do like a couple DTV movies like Armed Response and like there was one other one. I looked at his filmography earlier today but I can't remember. I'm checking it out. It was the one like right before Armed Response. I had heard of it but where, I don't remember where, where, what it was. I, can, I, can you just show me what is IMDb doing right now? The fo- Oh, this is him as an actor. Armed Response. Yeah. Kickboxer Vengeance. That's I actually never saw. Yeah. He did the Cat Run movies, Cat Run and Cat Run 2, which Adam Thaws is a big fan of. Never I don't saw. think I saw yeah. those. Armed Response is Wesley Snipes. I should have seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anne Heche, R.I.P. 
Mm-hmm. I actually might have seen Armed <laughs> Response now that yeah. I now that I see that Anne Heche was in it. Uh, yeah, but I was like for a long time I would be down for a John Stockwell joint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always think that's cool that he's like the man who's a little too old to be at the bar. And right, that's like right, right, right. his entire filmography. <laughs> which is like, why it's are you hanging out with these kids? It. Right, and he's just like, I'm young at heart. <laughs> he is. He is young yeah. at heart. Mm-hmm. So. Um, is it your pick or my pick? Uh, I think it's mine. Yeah, it's yours. Okay. I'll go with my favorite. I think my favorite of all 10 of these. Okay. And that's Todd Haynes' Far From Heaven. Yeah. Was not my favorite in 2002. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I was like, sure. Um, first time I watched it in 20 years, knocked the fuck out by it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so good. Sent me down watching all these Douglas Sirk movies, rewatching I'm Not There, um, amazing Julianne Moore performance, surprisingly good Dennis Quaid performance. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Quaid, like in the eighties, untouchable. And then he had this comeback. Yeah. Like in the late nineties, early two yeah. thousands. I don't mean to insult Dennis Quaid, but he just makes like shitty dad movies now. Yeah. And he's also, the, the Quaids are problematic. Not, <laughs> Jack, not Jack Quaid, right. but the other ones. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but like Great Balls of Fire, Dennis Quaid, fucking Big Easy. Like when he's working with Jim McBride, he's on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like him in uh, Any Given Sunday. Yeah, there's never been an actor more believable as an aged quarterback than <laughs> right? Dennis Quaid. Right? Not Cap even Rooney. not even Matt Davis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I just I love. I mean, Todd Haynes fascinates me as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, and I just love his idea here of, like, what if I did Douglas Sirk movies, or what if I did a Douglas Sirk movie, but kind of updated it with these things that would have been so taboo in the 1950s, Yeah, uh, and looked at it, you know, in, in kind of an honest way. So we have Dennis Quaid as, like, the closeted gay husband. Mm-hmm. We have this unspoken romance between Julianne Moore and Dennis Haysbert. Um, I just was floored by this movie. Yeah, this was the one that, like, really jumped up in my estimation on a rewatch. I saw it in 02 um, or 03 because it was, like, after it had been nominated for Oscars. Okay. Um, I was in college. This was one of those movies that played in, like, the fine arts building and I was still living in the fraternity, so it was like how Dennis Quaid sneaks off for liaisons. I was sneaking off for independent films, <laughs> and, and they're just crossroads. like, yeah, and like some, but like my friend brother opened the door, and he's just like, "Are you fucking watching Far From Heaven in the Fine Arts Building?" And I'm like, "I could smell the Todd Haynes all over you." He's just like, "What else have you been doing?" I'm like, "I saw the Wings of the Dove." <laughs> What else have you been watching? Rabbit proof fence. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? I'll go to a doctor. <laughs> I'll make him stop. There's cures for this, I swear. <laughs> I want you to stop. Sometimes electroshock therapy can get you to stop watching deep indies. Um, so <laughs> I'm prescribing you a diet of nothing but Vin Diesel movies for the next. 12 months. It's like, take two of these and call me in the morning. <laughs> triple like X, eight, triple eight X, mile, eight mile in the boondock saints. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I was baptized in a... <laughs> Man after my own heart, devil's own quotes. Um, so, Far From Heaven, 
Uh, I, the way that I, I mean, obviously the, it was always like, you know, what if we played it straight with the Douglas Sirk movies that he couldn't do like back in the, back when he made movies in the fifties. For me, I thought it was interesting because it felt like this is a fifties movie, but let's drop in three main characters who are, it's almost like Pleasantville where it's like they, they have, they they can't fit in here anymore. Right. Yes. Like they're too advanced or their problems are too sophisticated and they can't be. Which is what a lot of Todd Haynes movies are about actually. That they can't be around these people. Yeah. Um, I thought it was so sad at the end of the movie. I mean like for obvious reasons, but like, it's like the two main casualties is like Julianne Moore is never going to be able to like live this down in that town. She's going to be a pariah. Dennis Haysbert is chased out of town. He can't be, he can't, you know, live his life or have his career or anything like that. Because he's guilty of gardening while black. Exactly. Like Dennis Quaid, like one thing that Roger Ebert said in his review that I thought was so interesting was just like in the 50s, it was supposed to take place in I think like 57 or something, but like in the 50s, like interracial stuff or like the kind of you know blacks and whites being social and friendly together was something that was like on shaky ground and like being gay was so taboo that like you dare not even speak of it yeah so like i like how the movie portrays that um i like how the i especially liked how dennis quaid is so if anything he should be sympathetic (laughs) to Dennis Haysbert and sure, his situation sure. based off of like him going through something similar but different but he's also just reverts back to like the Patricia Clarkson of it all and everything like that and like the retrograde um you know aspect of the 1950s and everything like that and it's so like striking just like the hip- the hypocrisy of right, it all right and yeah no the movie's just like really fantastic yeah um so i i was super happy that you picked this so i could rewatch it because i remember at the time i don't know what it was i just like it was just kind of in one year out the other which that's kind of how it blows my mind like how could that that have ever been because i had loved velvet goldwine i would end up loving i'm not there and carol and Mm -hmm. for some reason far from heaven i'm just like yeah whatever todd haynes i've seen your shit before your weird semiotics yeah, where it's just like your, it, it's like your little dollhouse with the Wes Anderson of, <laughs> right. stuff like that. It's just like what There's he's doing. So much is going so on in this movie. This is the movie impressive. that Julianne Moore should have won the Oscar for. Not, I mean, she should have won for Boogie yeah. Nights, and then she should have won for this. I think not, Nicole Kidman won that year for the fucking, Hours. Oh God, the Hours. But she should have. Julianne for, Moore is also in. Yeah, Kidman should have won for like Moulin Rouge or Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Julianne Moore won it what for the I Have the Alzheimer's. <laughs> yes, for the Alzheimer's. Still movie. Alice. I again never would have come up I with think the title. I saw that in theaters. I, I definitely know. saw it. It's yeah. fine. It's yeah. sad. It's, it's a performance move. More but than it's a movie. it's yeah. it's one of those like honorary Oscars where it's like we probably should have done this already. So yeah. we're sorry, but mm-hmm. here you go. You have a disease in this movie and yeah. that wins awards. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I liked so much about Carol. Spoilers for Carol. If you haven't seen Carol yet, you absolutely mm-hmm. should. There are things about Carol that I was like, well, isn't this just going to be Far From Heaven Part 
too, but like he allows the characters in Carol a happy ending. Yeah, I don't if remember I'm remembering Carol, Carol, Carol remember correctly, Carol too well. somebody's gonna like be come in the comments and be like, she you know, they Kyle both Chandler. die at the end. Of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, okay. And they end up together. Is my memory I of think Carol? So. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So I need to rewatch Carol, everyone, yeah. because maybe I'm remembering it wrong. But um, it at least suggests that progress is possible. Mm-hmm. Even though those two characters are still pariahs in the movie, it's not like people suddenly become accepting of their homosexuality, but he made it. Carol comes out right around the time of like same-sex marriages being – the legalization of same-sex marriages becoming codified. Mm -hmm. And so it was nice to see that movie suggest that there is hope. Yes. As opposed to Far From Heaven, which is like – a very sad movie, as you point out. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I remember when Carol came out, it was, it played by us. It was in limited release for a little while. And then it's like kind of slowly expanded. And I remember it opened by us on Christmas day. And like, I was going to see some friends or family later in the day, but like, I was like, I want to see Carol. So like, I went like to a, like a nine or nine thirty in the morning show. And I remember sitting in the theater and wanting to turn to the people next to me and being like, Christmas, Carol, <laughs> Christmas, Carol. And then when they give me a dirty look, I'm just like, I'm here by myself. I'm seeing family later. I'm not a weirdo. I just like movies. <laughs> I like movies, too. You watching Rabbit Proof Fence, bro? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> we went through your drawers, bro. I found a fucking lot of Jim Jarmusch in there. <laughs> How do you explain that? Oh, man. You're weird. You're weird, bro. I don't like it. The man who wasn't there, you won't be here when we blackball your ass. <laughs> There's one Coen Brothers movie, and it's called Intolerable Cruelty. <laughs> I watched Fargo once. It made my head hurt. <laughs> You know what movie fucking slaps? Rules of Attraction. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That movie Talk tells about, it like it is. Right? Talk about a movie that a date rapist could side with. Yeah. I could totally tell Roger Avery wrote all the good parts of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, your I like turn. QT, but then he did Jackie Brown. I was like, what's with this old man shit? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> You're watching Hamlet with Ethan Hawke? <laughs> Is this the one where he gives the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech? No, no, that's Macbeth. What's the <laughs> the soliloquy in Hamlet? He gives in like a video store. That's all I remember. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, okay. So that was your favorite of the nine. Yeah. It's probably it's my number two. Okay. But that's just because my favorite has been a movie I've loved for 20 years. Okay. And that's Drumline. Okay. I think Drumline is so far superior than what you think it will be. Because okay. you think it's going to be like dumb college comedy. And like it's like we play drums, but we drink and we have sex and stuff like that. And right. like that's not what this movie is at all. Like whoever made this like really gave a shit about drumline competitions and like you know black colleges and their history with like rivalries with with that and everything like that and and um 
the music is like it builds like a sports movie like it's by the end of it you feel like you're almost watching like the big football game it's like really exciting right, right and um I laughed when Nick Cannon told his dad, he's like, it's not like I have a bunch of kids running around. Oh, boy. That line did not age well. Oh, boy. <laughs> did not age well. More power to him, but it's just kind of funny. More power to him, really? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's not my place. It's not mine either. Yeah. I'm not judging anybody for having a lot of kids. but <laughs> Like a Dick Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my place. <laughs> A lot of babies. Um, drumline for me was Blue Crush. Like okay. that they're very similar movies. It's just that they choose different topics. Mm-hmm. They want to be the definitive female surfing movie. I want to be the definitive yeah, drumline, drumline movie. movie yeah. You know. Um I liked it. I really liked the Orlando Jones performance. I enjoyed seeing early Zoe Saldana. Mm-hmm. She's way too quick to fall in love with Nick Cannon. It's like she doesn't know she's always held on. <laughs> I struggled with. I liked the music. I mm-hmm. liked how sincerely it um this was the only movie on the list that I had never seen before. Okay. I liked how seriously it took Drumline. I want I watched it with Charlie cuz he's a drummer and he's way into this mm-hmm. and so he liked all that stuff about it. There's so much to like and respond to. Um Almost couldn't get past the Nick Cannon performance. I do not okay. like him as a performer. Yeah. I find him too big a fan of himself. But doesn't that serve the character? Yes, but he, I didn't buy his humbling. Okay. And I think you can be a big fan of yourself and still be charming. Mm-hmm. And his charm eludes me. Like, yeah, I've seen lots of movies where, you know, it's it's Maverick and Top Gun. It's like mm-hmm. I'm a cocky and I love myself. But yeah. like Tom Cruise sells it because he's fucking Tom Cruise. Right. Yeah. Um, with Nick Cannon, I'm like, oh, I can't stand to be around you. Yeah. I mean, like he doesn't I, I didn't have that strong of a negative reaction to him, but I, I've never seen him in a movie other than Drumline where I've given him the time of day or just, <laughs> right, let alone like right. the performance else, i mean love don't cost a thing I that was saw. his other like lead right. i don't remember what else he's been in i feel like he's been like a supporting actor in some stuff but wasn't I, he in um spike lee fucking was he in a spike lee movie oh my god the one that's all uh, chirac wasn't he in chirac maybe i saw it once okay i like chirac I need to see it again. I wasn't a big fan of it when <laughs> I watched it. He's in Bobby, which I don't remember him being in. Oh, yeah, he was in Bobby. Yeah, I mean, so much of what he's done is like TV and... Uh... Oh, God, he was in that movie, The Misfits, that I just saw. I redboxed that shit. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, with the Pierce Brosnan thing? Oh, I never saw it. Oh, but, boy, you know. did I not like that movie. Yeah. And that's Rennie Harlan, written by Kurt Wimmer. Yeah. Seems like it should really be... Uh... Sure. A winner. I'm just looking to see if he's in Chirac. What'd you think of Orlando Jones? Because this was the first time up to that point that I ever saw him play something straight. And I remember it was distracting for me, at least the first time, because I kept expecting him to be funny. And I'm like, why is he being so serious? Like, when's he going to break and be funny? But I think, like, by the end of it, he's maybe got the most interesting character arc of the movie. 
Yeah, I, I wish. I mean, again, I'm always talking or not always, but these days I'm talking about I miss movies that are functional. Mm-hmm. Um, Drumline is very, very functional, but almost in a way that becomes too predictable. So yeah. Orlando Jones's whole arc is like, I'm stuck in the past. I only mm-hmm. want to play these standards and these classics. Yeah. And my kids are telling me to freshen it up and add some hip hop, but I'm resistant. And we know by the end he's going to merge the two and become well, the, victorious. The, the thing that I liked about the merging of the two, though, is... All right, so he's on one end because he wants to play like Flight of the Bumblebee and everything. <laughs> um, and then the Morris Brown conductor in school, they play like modern hip hop stuff. Right. Um, but the thing that I like that his way of bridging the gap is to play the music that inspired the modern music. So it's like the stuff by Earth, Wind, and Fire right, and the right, stuff right. from the 70s. Right. He's like, okay, this is like where we can find our common ground. And he's also teaching the students about music that they wouldn't necessarily have paid any attention to otherwise. Right. So I thought that was interesting. And then I, every time Zoe, like during the step competition, like my soul left my body when I saw Zoe Saldana, I'm like, sure. I'm just like, I, understandable. She's just uh, like, it's like a Sossaman thing, but like, I yeah. mean, I, I, she's, she, she's near and dear to me just because of like, I love her career, just like that she's this, like, such in so many like sci-fi properties, like sure, Avatar, yeah, yeah. Star Trek, and everything like that. I just like love like the, her choices, but um, yeah, man. Between Avatar, the Star Trek franchise, mm-hmm. and the Guardians and franchise, Guardians, yeah. shouldn't she be like the most bankable female star in Hollywood? She should be, and it's a shame because, like, I saw she did, like, some romantic comedy or romantic drama that, like, was on Netflix, and, like, nobody even knew it came out. And I I only stumbled upon it because I watched a Drumline trailer, and then the algorithm was just, like, Zoe Saldana, and I'm like, okay. Did you know in 2014 that Nick Cannon reprised his role in a VH1 original movie called Drumline, A New Beat? I didn't know that. No. I didn't either until I just looked it up on IMDb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the Zoe Saldana movie is called what? Oh, she's in Amsterdam. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I haven't seen the Adam Project, and I don't totally want to. No. Uh, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it came out maybe last year. Then I can't find it. Yeah, but whatever. Matter. Yeah. She's in Avatar 2. It's just a bummer that she can't, like, open a movie. I mean, Colombiana is not great, but, yeah. like... That was kind of her shot. And yeah. And it's like, nope. And then they just kind of, like, put her back into an ensemble. I don't think she gets credit for uh, being as good as she is in Avatar. No. She's great. She's probably giving the best performance in Avatar. Easily giving the best yeah. performance. Because uh, she invests so much. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah you... I mean, she's kind of like your way in to, for lack of a better word, humanizing the right. Navi right. and everything like that. So, yeah. yeah, she's so good. Um, you the, know what the cool thing? Well, there's several cool things, many cool things about Avatar. Yeah, there are. Sometimes, like, I saw the IMAX poster for it, and I was just like, at the most base level, it's blue people riding flying dragons. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes. I want to watch that. 
I was rewatching some of Top Gun Maverick today because Charlie wanted to watch it. And I was like, I wonder if the same people who are championing, championing this mm-hmm. as being the year's best film or one of the year's best films are the same people who shit on Avatar. Because I see Top Gun Maverick and I see a lot. There's some stuff in there that is great. I'm not shitting on Top Gun Maverick. But, like, there's also a lot of Home Alone 2 shit. Yeah. And... For, I just Avatar so cliche. It's so, and I'm just like, but you fucking love top whatever. Anyway, yeah. I'm basing this on like shit I see on Twitter, which isn't the real world, so mm-hmm. I shouldn't even pay it any mind. I I hate when people are just like, it's just dances with wolves. I'm like, yeah, your point is, it's fucking, <laughs> well, so it's good. But we've collectively decided that Dances with Wolves is a bad movie. It's just Pocahontas. It's like, yeah, so that story's good too. Right. So like, what what is your problem? <laughs> Also, it's not just either of those things, but okay. You watching fucking Pocahontas, bro? It's not even an indie. What's going on with you? You're getting back to mainstream, but not in the right way. <laughs> um, last of the nine? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that is Dirty Pretty Things. Yeah, which was a first time watch for me. What'd you think? I liked it. It was really. It, it was not. Did you what know I anything about it? No, because I, I think that works to its advantage. Because in two thousand two, all I knew was the title and that Amelie was in it. Yeah. No, I thought it was hilarious when I saw like Amelie Audrey Tattoo is like front and center on the cover of this movie because obviously that's how they're selling it. <laughs> right. But I'm just like this. Is, she's so the second lead of yes. this movie compared to Chiwetel Ejiofor, yes. and um. He's amazing in it, and it's like one of those movies that just makes you happy to remember how great he is, and also sad to see that him and Benedict Wong are like drowning in Doctor Strange now. Yep. When they were doing this really interesting shit at the beginning of their career. Um, I had heard somewhere that. They're just like, this was a breakout for Chiwetel Ejiofor. And I'm just like, yeah, I get it. But I heard it was because, like, he was a villain in this. So, like, I was stunned. Like, while I was watching, I'm just like, this is, I'm like, when's he going to be a villain? So, but no, it was really cool because, like, it starts out almost as, like, what is this going to be? Is this going to be, like, a four rooms thing about a quirky hotel? (laughs) Right. And then it gets to kind of a crisis point really early on and then it becomes this whole other thing and just like as you said knowing nothing about it it's really entertaining seeing kind of like oh it's about immigration oh it's about underground organ markets and stuff like that and that guy who plays the the hotel manager i forgot what his name was but he takes on like by the end of it i'm just like he's like fucking bella lugosi it's like <laughs> such an interesting it's like a jordy mola type of performance and this was right around um i'm looking it up right now okay this was two years after with a friend like harry mm-hmm. uh sergey lopez is the okay. actor's name and did you ever see with a friend like harry no it's good, but he's kind of the villain of the, the antagonist of that movie. Yeah. And then you see him in this, and you're just like, this guy is the devil. <laughs> like, yeah. He is. He also so reminded scary. me of um, Joaquin Del Media, the guy who's yeah. the villain in uh, yeah, yeah. Desperado. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. What is the number to the phone in my car? <laughs> oh, man. 
That guy's good. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, saw this in 2002, I think because it was Stephen Frears. Okay. I don't know why else we would have gone to see it. Well, it was right after High Fidelity. Okay. So maybe that was the reason. Had an interesting title. Told me nothing. Yeah. Like, what does it even mean? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the inciting incident is someone finding a heart stuffed in a toilet, and you're yeah. like, what the fuck is this movie going yeah. to be? But And I mentioned this at the top of the show, talking about Four Brothers, but I had never seen Chiwetel Ejiofor in anything. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, who is this actor with the most expressive, soulful eyes I've ever seen? Yeah, you just are immediately on his side. Yes! Yeah. And his character, he's playing such a sad character. I mean, there's so much yeah. sadness in this movie. Yeah, I mean... But it's, it's like the... a great thriller, too. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's just so sadly true to life where it's just like these people who like are either refugees or people on the run or whatever um who have to leave like their country of origin are brilliant right in their professions right and everything and then they just have to do this remedial work um when they get here and just sort of the icky politics of like them just being able to keep a job or right. be able to keep like an employment visa or whatever like that. It, it's, um, it's a movie that's curious about these people, which not a lot of movies are. Right. And I appreciate it from that perspective, but it's never like didactic. It's always like, it works as a thriller primarily yeah, and a character study. And Stephen Frears is like one of those directors who I always underestimate how much of a fan of them i am until i'm watching one of their movies where yeah. i'm like if anybody else directed philomena or if anybody else directed the queen i would uh, be yeah. like these movies are so dry and stupid but he finds a way of like really kind of getting your vested interest in it like i remember when i watched philomena i was on like a steve coogan jag at okay. the time and i watched it and i'm just like this movie fucking rules and it's like this Judy Dench, like, you know, movie that I would never have seen if it was like, right. directed by, you know, whomever. He made Florence Foster Jenkins. I never saw that one. He made Cherie. I don't the think High he's... Fidelity is really good. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, he made Tamara Drew, which I don't love, but it at least gifted us that Gemma Arterton gif of her in the shorts. Okay. Um, I don't know that he's made a movie that I've really loved since, I mean, Mrs. Henderson Presents, really since Dirty Pretty Things in 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, I, I didn't see Philomena. I saw Lay the Favorite. I didn't think it was great. I, the Queen was way better than I expected it to be because yeah. I went into it like taking medicine, you know. I thought that, uh, what's his face? Michael Sheen was really good as Tony Blair. Yeah, that. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Helen Mirren, you know, yeah. luminous Oscar winner. I didn't. I, I turned on her when she thought she really was the queen. When she said, "I give you the queen," yeah. and thought she was doing this weird iconic moment. That was when I was like, "Fuck Helen Mirren." Yeah, <laughs> it's about the work. <laughs> That's Melissa Leo, though. But like, <laughs> God, why do people just like shit on themselves? Like when they go up there, <laughs> I don't know. And like, Will Smith couldn't even wait until he got up there. Yikes! <laughs> yeah. Uh. Are you going to watch Emancipation on Apple TV Plus? Fuck no. I don't I liked, even know what it is. I was looking at like the Oscar odds and somebody had like Will Smith number seven to win Best Actor this year. I'm like, never in a billion Unlikely. years. Unlikely. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I 
I I uh, I remember when I saw the Queen, I was like watching the movie and I was entertained enough and everything like that. And then like I kind of got like a, a little emotional at the end, and this guy like tapped me on the shoulder, and I was like, "What?" And he was like bothering me during the movie, and I'm just like, "What?" And he goes, "I saw that you were crying," and I was like, "Are we doing this right now? Like I'm watching the <laughs> fucking movie." And then he stuck out a cup. And it was Stephen Frears, and it said Tears for Frears, and he was collecting them. <laughs> I mean, it was a ways to go, but it was worth it when we got thank there. You. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm desperate to to get up to the heights of, it was so easy with the with the Swoozy Kurt stuff sure. at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. like, shit. <laughs> that was like just chucking touchdowns downfield. It's like we have a minute 30 left, and we go 80 yards down the field. <laughs> And like fucking this thing, it's just like we're on the one yard line, and the entire team needs to push the running back into the end zone. But we got in there. Uh, I feel bad because I feel like we're ending on kind of a down note. But we yeah, gotta... kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so our last movie is Oh Oh Tim Blake Nelson's Oh. Uh, I have thoughts on Oh that are. All right, so I was watching O, and I always think, like, I, this is my second time seeing it. My first time since 2001. Yeah, same here, or maybe even 2002, whenever I was on video. Okay, I saw it, we saw it in theaters, Okay, Erica and I. Uh, I mean, at the time, it was just, like, there was a big thing where it was, like, young actors doing the Shakespeare thing. Yes. Um, and or like teen movie adaptations Julia of Shakespeare. Julia Stiles was in, like, three she of them. She was the queen. Yeah, she was the queen. I, I give, give you, you the queen. Um <laughs> down to you of course famously a remake of the tempest yeah i don't know if it was because it was based off of othello that it didn't wait a second it was (laughs) yeah (laughs) believe it or not um i it didn't um it felt like artifice to me like it felt kind of like still the play um like someone said what if we set in like modern times yes. among teenagers and like had an idea and then reverse engineered it kind of yes but this time i was feeling that way for a while although i enjoyed the performances and like i thought it was you know it kept my interest throughout and everything like that but then when we got to the end where like the jig is up and like josh hartnett is going crazy and he shoots rain phoenix and it's so matter of fact mm-hmm. and so sudden. And it felt like a Kimberly Pierce movie or like Boys <laughs> Don't Cry. And that made me feel like, oh, this is really hitting me more than just this is some kind of modern day, like, you know, kids doing Othello thing. Okay. Um, and then the thing with him being driven off in a police car in the back and Josh Hartnett has this blank expression on his face and it looks like every mugshot of every shooter that we've seen in oh, recent years yikes. it like really got under my skin and really kind of like was upsetting in the way that i think the movie was intending and i just thought it was interesting because like this was shot it was delayed because of columbine right, right. but it was shot in 1998 that was when josh hartnett had like halloween h2o and the faculty i didn't realize it was like shot that. that early yeah wow and it's like so interesting that they like not would allow him to do this, but it was just like the, all their chips were in on making him likable leading man, mm-hmm. and like he does this, right? 
And um, at first I thought, I'm just like, oh, he's miscast. Like he should be kind of squirrelier or weirder and everything like that. But when I saw like that blank expression mm-hmm. and just stuff like that, I'm just like, no, it's that blankness that he has that kind of like works for this. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know. It's weird. It's like a movie that occurred to me late in the movie that I'm just like, oh, this really kind of affected me. Okay. Um, but as it was going along, I mean, like, it's nice to see a movie with like actors I like that I don't see as often anymore, like Julia Stiles or Mackay Pfeiffer. I think Martin Sheen is like, you know, it's it, it's a showy part, but I think he's really good in it. I was worried for his health. Yeah. Like, I really was sure he was going to have an aneurysm. Yeah. Um, now he's got to go find Susie Kurtz. <laughs> I like, I really like Julia Stiles. She doesn't work as much anymore, at least not in stuff that I see. She's great in Orphan First Kill. Yeah, she's really good in that. Uh, she doesn't have a lot to do here. No. And I think, I found the movie very unpleasant to watch in ways both intended and unintended. Okay. There's a very graphic rape scene that is never dealt with. Oh, yeah. Okay. I really like Mackay Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. I think he's given it his all. I just think the movie never breaks free of like, well, this stuff happens because it's what has to happen in Othello. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it definitely um, feels calculated. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like organic. Right. Like his jealousy and things like that. It's almost like... Shakespeare should have written another act (laughs) to come at the beginning (laughs) to support Tim Blake Nelson's vision. And here's where I out myself as a Philistine. Like, I've never seen a production of Othello. I never saw... I don't know if I ever have I've never seen Olivier play Othello. I never saw the Lawrence Fishburne Othello. Uh, I've never seen it on stage. This is my exposure Mm. to the story. I mean, I know the story of Othello, but like in terms of a production of Othello, this is all I've seen. Yeah. And it a little bit falls prey to the same rules of attraction thing where it's just like, mm-hmm. we're kids, but we're going to do dark material. So Andrew Keegan is like, yeah, sign me up. I can shed my nice guy image. Like, yeah. Andrew Keegan, you've never been anything but a douche. Yeah. Andrew Keegan. <laughs> Andrew Keegan. All right. Here's the reason why Andrew Keegan doesn't bother me as much as he bothers you <laughs> is because he's like, if um, like Thomas Ian Nicholas was mario and he like hits the box and he gets the mushroom and becomes a better version of himself that's andrew keegan <laughs> i could do without either one of them it's like you have fine. to choose one apparently i'd probably go thomas and nicholas i feel like all right well, but again i never met the man okay. <laughs> so, so. i don't carry the baggage yeah. of, a, of a bad mm-hmm. tin encounter yeah <laughs> son of a bitch um yeah, no, I mean, like, O is not a movie I will ever watch again. Um, no. But I, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I have not seen all of Tim Blake Nelson's movies. This is the only movie of his I've seen. Okay. so I he, almost saw Leaves of Grass once, but I never did. I still have not seen Leaves of Grass. I never saw Anesthesia. Yeah. Um... I saw The Gray Zone because I had to watch it for a, a class I took about the Holocaust in film. That's Tim Roth, right? Yes. Okay. Very hard to watch, mm-hmm. but certainly good just yeah. about a subject matter that, like, who wants to watch this? Yeah. 
Uh, but I really can't recommend his first movie enough, which is called Eye of God. It okay. came out in 97. It's like Nick Stahl, Richard Jenkins, Martha Plimpton, uh, Mary Kay Place, Margot Martindale, Kevin Anderson. Mm. Um, and I won't even describe what it's about. But like, so he he establishes himself as like a real actor's director who handles really dark, really bleak material well. And so going into, oh, that's kind of what I was expecting. And I, it's a movie that takes some risks. I give it credit for that, but I, it just, it doesn't work for me. Okay. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I don't have much more to say about it. I just, no. uh, I, I, I almost watched it mostly as like, you know, I'm kind of more of a Josh Hartnett fan now than I certainly was back then. Sure. And I found it just kind of in the, the placement of his career really interesting. That makes sense. So, yeah. Well, this was fun. It was. Thank you for talking about all these movies with me. Thank you for picking movies that I didn't write about in 2K Replay. So I didn't <laughs> no, have to I would not have done that. Um, no, I, I'm almost done with my 2002 rewatches. Yeah. I have five left. Okay. I've, I'm writing a 2K replay about eight crazy nights. Interesting. I hope I hope your write up makes Erica cry. I hope so too. It's here. All right. So I did one for Lilo and Stitch this week. Yes. And I had a real predicament because I've never seen Lilo and Stitch. It's. I don't know if you'd ever like it as much as I do, but I read your yeah. yeah so I but, understand. Um, it. I think it's doing a lot of really. It's definitely, it feels like the Disney animated movie of the early 2000s where nobody was paying attention and okay. they got away with a lot of stuff. Okay. And it's equally as kind of funny and heartfelt. So I, okay. I think it works really well. Um, but because the last two movies I'm covering are animated, I was just like, crushes? Do I say the actors? Am I looking at drawings and saying which one I want to fuck the most? The answer is Whitey. <laughs> I love Whitey so much. <laughs> and uh, the woman, Eleanor, I think. Oh, God. I I can't believe I came up with Whitey after God, 20 years. I love Eight Crazy Nights so much. Really? I'm really – I just love it. I mean, like, there's a whole song about how great the mall is. I mean, like, it's made for me. Um, yeah, no, I, I – I remember reindeer, reindeer shitting. Yeah. And, and they Erica got crying. shit in their teeth. And That's what I remember. That. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now, I've got that um, – and then I'm not writing about any of these, but I, I need to watch. I want to rewatch Chamber of Secrets. Okay. Um, Two Fists of Columbus. Two Fists of Columbus. Um, I want to rewatch uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind because I haven't seen it since 2002. That's the Ticket to Paradise reunion. It is. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then I've never seen Secretary. Ooh, I'm excited for that. And Star Trek Nemesis. Those are okay. the ones I have left. Secretary is my favorite of the ones you named. And but... I planned out every 2K replay I'm going to write in 2003. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. And I looked at the list for 2004. Yeah. And I'm done after 2003. Interesting. Because I just there, it's Well, my thing is, if I've covered the director, okay. I'm not writing another, uh, uh, doing a write-up about another one of their movies. Understandable. But 04, like kind of was when not that movies got bad in 04 because there were still a lot of good movies yeah. but like i don't know i kind of like i'm like this is like my college era 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 and like that's when i realize i'm like oh that's what i'm kind of capturing here like that's sort of what i wanted to kind of revisit so okay yeah all right yeah uh well thank you guys very much for listening this has been an epic show over two hours yes so thanks for sticking it out 
Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash F this movie coming up on the Patreon this month is a show with me and TV's Rob Cristino talking about Armageddon. Ooh. Yeah. We got Bruno. We got Ben Affleck month. All roads converge at Armageddon. Very cool. Um, so that's something you're going to want to listen to. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Email us at FThisMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again, Adam. This was awesome. I don't want to miss a thing. It is so good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to FS Movie.